Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. This is special number five, recorded uh, February 14th, 2021. And we have a special guest, uh, Brian is back to talk about Discovery with us. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being had. Great for having you. (laughs) Yeah, so we purposely held off on uh, doing the uh, Star Trek Discovery Aftermath miniseries, which takes place right after season two of Discovery, until we could all watch season three of Discovery, so we can both talk about these three issues and uh, what we liked and didn't like about uh, season three of Discovery. But that'll be at the end. These three issues are... uh... A nice, like, well, what did happen to the crew of the Enterprise, uh, Pike and company, after uh, Burnham and Discovery left? This is a nice uh, nice three issues that I think set it up pretty well for the new TV show, Strange New Worlds. I think they tried, you know, that, that was the point. And I, I had asked the same question as I was watching season three. What What was going on after they left? And I didn't, you know, even realize that, this, that aftermath existed, and I was like, "Oh, I'm so glad they took a stab at that and and uh, tried to tell us." Um, right. Although it is sandwiched pretty tightly because you know we had this um, scene at the end of season two where Spock comes onto the bridge. So when when I when they when I, I thought they'd pick up after that, but they sandwiched this three issue story arc in between. You know the end of that issue, yeah. the end of at that end of those, at the end of that prologue, right? Yeah, that's the IDW way. A lot of times they'll do that with uh, with their other expanded universe stuff. Where they'll just like in between this scene and that scene, this this miniseries happens or this issue happens. Ah. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I I kind of thought that prologue happened a little quicker than apparently yeah. it did because there was a you know there was a chunk of time that this. Uh, Three issues uh, take. Right. But, uh, so a little later than expected, but it, it works. Yeah. Should we just jump into the issue, or do we have any chit-chat or announcements to make? I'm just looking forward to uh, Strange New Worlds or whatever next uh, thing we'll have on Paramount Plus. That's uh, Star Trek. Right. So since they're filming... The next season of uh, Discovery now, I guess that'll be the next one? Or will it be the Lower Decks? Or Prodigy. I think Prodigy, oh, Prodigy. comes out first. Oh, okay. And then lower, may, then maybe Lower Decks and then uh, Season 4 of Discovery. Okay. Well, I mean, isn't it strange? New War- well, no, I mean, I heard Section 31 was beginning pre-production. I don't know if that's real. Yeah, I mean, it's, been, it's been in pre-production since <laughs> season one of Discovery, so I don't, I don't have a lot of. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on that one. Yeah, I wouldn't. And since Paramount, all the uh, advertisements for Paramount Plus is really pushing Pike, you know, in the in the in the foreground. I, I really have good hopes on that one now. Which until those Paramount Plus commercials, I I kind of had my doubts on that one too. To tell you the truth. 
Well, have you gentlemen discussed that, that those even exist? Because I, I only knew about one, and apparently there is a whole series of them. Yeah, so during the Super Bowl, Paramount Plus did a, a series of uh, uh, commercials where where all the franchises from CBS were, were climbing the Paramount Plus uh, mountain with uh, Patrick Stewart at the top narrating the whole thing it's, it's actually quite good and and it's very funny with uh, lots of good star trek references right but are they canon <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that dora and burnham were ever really together but uh but sure if you want it to be canon again i'll take a look i'm, I'm gonna reserve my judgment until i see them <laughs> hey you know what infinite diversity and infinite combination combination there you go there you go. Well, there's lots of diversity there. They even got well, uh, Magnum PI. Well, I think yeah. Bloods in that in that commercial. Well, I don't care. <laughs> Never watched Blue Bloods. <laughs> He'll always be Magnum PI to me. That and the Marlboro Man. He was the Marlboro Man. He was the Marlboro Man before he was Magnum PI. Huh? Did not break this to you, Kim? But I think there were multiple Marlboro. Oh, there was. There was. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know the other Marlboro man, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I know Thomas Magnum. <laughs> Can you imagine what Indiana Jones would have been like if they would have kept him as Indiana Jones? I think it could have worked. He was going to be Indiana Jones? Oh, you never yeah. heard that? No, I never knew that. Yeah, he was in the running. So, no, I'm, I think he was it. He was the one they picked, and then he couldn't get out of the Magnum P.I., Thing. So then they they went with Harrison Ford instead. You know, it was interesting. I recently had a conversation about casting with the the uh, gentleman who helped me prepare for this. We we read it together and actually read it out loud, which was a lot of fun. Um, but we were talking about how important casting is, and we decided. Can you imagine, for example, if Khan had been cast um, with Don Knotts? I mean, <laughs> it just wouldn't have worked, right? I mean, it's important. <sighs> That's an extreme example, but uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> just picture it. Just, just give it a minute. It, it, it's brilliant. Kirk, <laughs> Kirk, these hands are registered weapons. <laughs> I never knew you had a Don Knotts imitation. Oh yeah. <laughs> and let me get out my bullet. <laughs> Wow. Hmm. Well, well done. And Don Knotts as Don. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right. So casting is important. Number one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing number one. Are we ready to go? Ready. Yeah, let's do it. Bueno. Okay. So I'm doing issue one of Aftermath, and it's got a published date of August 2019. And the writer, I think it's the same creative team for all three. Um, the writers are Kirsten Bear, who, of course, is very involved in Discovery and other shows, and Mike Johnson, um, who, of ongoing fame, Star Trek ongoing. He, he wrote a lot of those. Tony Chastine is the artist, colorist J.D. Mettler, letterer Neil Yataki, editorial assists Andy Perenhupta, and editor Chase Marotz, and finally group editor Denton J. Tipton. Okay, so we got four covers, uh, the first of which, cover A, features uh, Young Spock's big bearded head 
Michael's is the next largest head, followed by Captain Pike and Saru's head and torso. On the bottom half is uh, a red silhouette of a humanoid. At the bottom is the Enterprise and Discovery, covers by Angel Hernandez. Cover B is identical to cover A, except for the uh, red IDW logo in the upper left-hand corner, red and white. And apparently, and Donovan's informing me of this, I didn't even notice the difference between the two covers, but apparently that indicates it's a second printing. So they're calling it cover B. Okay, so two covers down. The retailer incentive cover features young Spock in a photo from Discovery TV show. Um, He is in a cool-looking black tunic and sporting the full manly beard. And the last one is Retailer Incentive Cover B, featuring Captain Pike in the center, with bearded young Spock to the left and clean-shaven young Spock to the right. The the Red Angel is uh, shown in the upper left, and that cover is by George Kaltsodas. On Quonos, a young Kor and his father are walking the streets of the capital city, talking about the mother of the empire. They are not crazy about the female Klingon, whose real name is Elrel. They seem to have an issue with how she took control of the empire at the point of an explosive device. Kor's father is now the leader of his house since the death of Kol Shah. When he thinks of how Elrel has revealed the D-7 battlecruiser and used it in combat alongside the Federation, he knocks a street, street torch to the ground and threatens to end her reign the hard way, here and now. Kor, always the planner, asked his emotional father to leave mother to me. From her imperial chambers, Chancellor Elrel speaks to Captain Pike over subspace channel. They know each other's governments would not sanction their latest conversation, but they both see the need for their two people to seize the opportunity they have to establish a lasting peace. Pike is more gung-ho to make things happen, but Elrel is cautious and terminates the channel after she says she will consider Pike's words. Pike makes a supplemental log entry pointing out that since Discovery's destruction one month ago, both sides have been slipping inexorably towards the pre-war status quo. Two civilizations going their own way, but destined to be drawn together into conflict again, and again forever. Pike thinks how he and Elrel have lost so many good friends in the war. He needs to make the right choices going forward. He needs Spock back to help him make those right choices. Vulcan in the past. Spock is walking alone in the desert, quoting the Earth novel Through the Looking Glass to practice his Earth Esperanto. When three bullies take exception to the Earth gibberish and knocks young Spock to the ground, Michael runs to Spock's aid and uses a Vulcan neck pinch on the most aggressive bully. Seeing Michael's effective technique on the toughest of them, the other two bullies run off. Michael and Spock walk together, while Michael suggests he might want to keep the Earth speech to when he is home. But she clarifies that he should never be ashamed of who he is. Now. Adult Spock thinks how often Michael was right. 
He thinks how she helped him find balance between his Vulcan half and his human half. He wishes he would have her counsel again, but knows it can never be. He is wondering when or if he will return to active duty when his mother walks up to him and asks him to come home. She thinks home is a far better place to figure out his future than the small room in the city that he is currently living in. Meanwhile, on Quonos, Alrel is addressing the Klingon Council. She says she will meet with the Federation representatives and learn of their weaknesses, and when the time is right, they will attack the Federation. Thunderous applause erupts. Meanwhile, on Vulcan, Captain Pike is at the front door of the house of Sarek, asking to see Spock. Spock suggests they go for a walk. Spock says he is not quite ready to provide the full focus required of him returning to the Enterprise. Pike says he is confident he will become ready. He also lets Spock know he can't hold his position open much longer. He may only have weeks before a chair-bound paper pusher in San Francisco forces a permanent replacement. Pike says he needs Spock and number one at his side when he meets with the Klingons on Vasset. Spock is so much more than just a science officer to him. Pike pitches the idea of Spock coming back to the Enterprise, but but not in an official capacity. Maybe just being back on the Enterprise will help Spock get his mojo back. Spock agrees, and they immediately beam back to the Enterprise. Number One meets them in Transporter Room and comments on how she loves Spock's beard. Don't change a thing. Meanwhile, on Kronos... Elrel enters the barracks where Kor is dispatching a sparring partner with Batleth, who has just lost some teeth and blood. The Chancellor asks Kor to join her trip to Vasset and lead her personal security team. He says it will be his honor and kneels. Elrel levels with him and says she is all too aware of the plots within his house to dethrone her. She says she has never heard of Kor's name on that list of conspirators. She hopes the younger generation of his house will not resort to such foolish scheming. She believes that to be the case and tells Kor she is putting her trust in him. Kor responds, saying he accepts her gesture with pride. He tells her his blade is hers. To be continued. So how do you like Kor as a... uh... Discovery Klingon. Quite a hairy one. <laughs> I, I don't think so. <clears throat> he looks pretty smooth to me. But oh. I, I like well. I like the I like him including core. I like the young core. I thought they did a good job. Um, but I uh, I'm not quite sure why they have him there. Like, what is his role in this? You know what I mean? Like fan service, absolutely loved it connected it to you know episode of the original series but what why core you know what i mean what what's special why is he there i think core is my for me personally core is my favorite klingon from taws he's the original uh yeah aaron de mercy there are other good ones too um but i i really uh, I forgot the name of uh, Koloth, the the one they that Koloth, was on. Yeah. I can't I, see Koloth. Nah, I mean, he was <laughs> I, he he was a good Klingon, but he was uh, he'll always be Trelane to me. So that was exactly. always in the way. 
And then the Day of the Dove. It wasn't threatening. I didn't think Koloff was particularly threatening. He was a yeah. comic character almost, right? And then Day of the Dove, mm-hmm. of course, you know, what Kang. He's been four times in Star Trek. He's threatening. In, in, yeah. Yeah, he was a bad. He was a bad butt. Bad, bad ass. Can well, you I, can, can you list for me the four times we have seen Kang in screen Star Trek? Sorry. The well, challenge. Of, uh, it was uh, a few times series, on DS9. The next, the animated series. Ooh. Uh-huh. And um, then uh, the two episodes of Deep Space Nine. Nope. <laughs> he what wasn't Deep, of Space, Deep Nine. Space Nine. Blood Oath, which had the three Klingons that we just talked about. Sure. Right. Yeah. But then and he then was in he shows, He was in a Voyager. Oh. The one where Voyager. Sulu. Yes. Oh, the, when they're, oh, they're so flashback. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he got all made up for like a 30 second spot. <laughs> <laughs> but he got paid probably, so. Oh, yeah. No problem. Like, and yeah, that was supposed cool. to be. I would have never like, got that. During Star Trek VI, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. it was, it was yeah, at the same time as Star Trek VI. I, I thought he would have been a good one personally because he's just kind of rough. But I don't know. I like the the character. I just didn't understand like what do we learn about him in this series? What why is he in this? You know what I mean? Like it didn't I I couldn't quite grasp other than it's fun, you know, to have him have somebody from the original series on there. It, it serves two purposes. One, fan service, and two, I think it I think it shuts up all of us fanboys that don't like the uh the Plato Klingon design. In that they're kind of like throwing in your face. This is core. You all accept that this is core. He doesn't look like core from the from the original series, and he also doesn't look like core from Deep Space Nine. But you you still accept him as core regardless of what his forehead looks like. So that, right. that's that's the reason I took it. It was just like you know that this is their version of Klingons. It doesn't mean that it's any more or less the same Klingons that we have in all the other series. It's, well, they, I like the fact that they did a good job. You knew immediately. I didn't have to see his name. I knew it was Core from the artwork. And in general, I was not all that impressed with the artwork in these books, but I thought Core was well done because they also de-aged him really well. He, like, you know, he was supposed to be, what, 10 years younger than when we meet him in the original series or so. Um, and I thought they did a good job with that. So I, I hear your point. Um, dramatically, I still didn't quite get it, but that's okay. Moving on. Yeah. I'm just a little. Con- I I was happy to see Core because, like I say, he's one of my favorite Taws one uh, uh, Klingons. Um, I'm a little confused why his father has a TNG tortoiseshell head forehead. Is he adopted? Well, he kind of does too. Well, you did they show it? Did it? Yeah. Is- I, uh, it, they don't really where, show. Where do you see the tortoiseshell head? Well, yeah, his hair's in the way. His bangs are coming down. But I don't. You can get a little I don't bit really of it. See it. So I, right above right, his so, eyebrows. Yeah, if you look at the um, second to the last page, all right, in the in the um, panel or the right at the bottom right, not the very bottom, but um, and then zooming on it, you can see that there are ridges there. Yeah. I... It's a profile. I I don't see it that much. But um, he must have very thick hair. (laughs) Because the tortoiseshell forehead going into the front top of 
Klingons' heads. It's pretty pronounced, at least in uh, TNG. And, and and by the way, I'm I'm saying that's a TNG one, but is it? I guess it's also consistent with the dialed down Klingons of Discovery now in the more well, in isn't the later that, chapters. That guy was in season two. His father was. Isn't that what? the? Uh, isn't he the guy that was in season two that was trying to kill the baby? I don't know. Maybe. Um, that's important because that would that would that's a nice that that means that IDW did a did an interesting thing bringing those two characters together. Um, and I'm always curious because any of the expanded universe, you know, they have certain restrictions that they they can't any they used to be able to, but they can't, for example, do things that will fundamentally change the universe, like have one of the character the main characters have a child. Um, so I'm curious to know if if his father was in the series. I think he, yeah, I think he is. I think he's one of those guys. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen season two, but I thought it was the same guy. Cool, that'd be a cool tie-in. Yeah. Well, Kirsten Bear, I mean, she's one of the uh, executive producers slash writers on well, Discovery. She's like the. Uh, she's like the the. Like the, the Kevin Feige of the the Star Trek universe. She's supposed to keep all media in line, um, so she's she's well, written several episodes. She's written several novels okay. before she had this job, and now she kind of controls all all Star Trek media. Uh, well, I, will, story I will say this: when I when I watched uh, the episode in season two on the in the Klingon monastery, Borov. And they showed it. I remember I was thinking, I've seen this before. I I know that. And, that, yeah, and sure enough, you know, and we had done the the Light of Kalis or the whatever it was that was the um, precursor there. And that had come out way before season two. And it tied in beautifully because it was the same look of the cavern with the fire. Um, so, you know, maybe they're making a real concerted effort to tie these properties together uh, in a way that they weren't doing before. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I really like Kristen Bear. I mean, uh, she wrote quite a few of the post season seven um, Voyager novels. So before you know there was a Discovery or a Picard or anything. So it was mm-hmm. kind of cool when they brought her in because she already had a pretty good grasp of what the expanded Star Trek universe looked like, hmm. and now she's kind of calling the shots. Yeah, I think she's got that uh, new audiobook on Audible to Lose Earth, uh, Voyager, a Voyager story. I yeah, think and I was curious, that. Is, that, is that set in the like pre-Picard timeline, or is that is that supposed to tie in with the you know the Picard timeline? I have no idea. I just see it out there, and it's in my wish list, but I haven't do- dove in to try to figure it out from the uh, description. Right. Yeah, I've been wanting to listen to that or read it, one of the two. Right, right. Did she also write that one that was really about um, number one, uh, Una, uh, where she takes center stage back when she was uh, like uh, on the Enterprise with uh, Captain April in charge? Did she write that one too? That was a really good one. I like that. That one. comic book, you mean? It wasn't a comic book. It was a novel. Oh, maybe I don't know that novel. Okay, well, 
Maybe she, I think she did, but I don't remember. It was a while ago that I listened to it. it was pretty mm. Mm. Yeah, anyway, I, there, there's so many novels now, it is hard to hold it all together. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, I haven't even I haven't even read the second Picard book or even the the Pike centric Discovery book that they've come out with. The Enterprise War, I think is that one that one's called. Yeah, that's really good. I like that one. That I mean the, the the Enterprise War. I haven't I begun the second Picard novel that focuses on uh the Titan and Riker and everything and and Troy. Uh so I I'm only like maybe 10% into it so right. far. How do you guys feel about the fact that maybe you've discussed this and I haven't heard it yet, but um, about Riker um, and Troy showing up on Lower Decks? No, oh, I'm I'm fine with it. Is there a controversy? I, liked it a lot. I loved it. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I liked it. I, I have heard that Riker, uh, you know, Jonathan Frakes is supposed to come back to reprise his role in Lower Decks, but uh, Troy is not going to be in it. So I'm kind of curious on how they would do that. But I guess if they just don't spend a lot of time on the bridge, then there wouldn't the, – the lower decks guy might not really bump into uh, right. both of them at the same time. Right, because he's – Yeah, but they could. I mean that's got to be a contractual thing or a scheduling thing. Cause, or a money thing. Budget. Well, it's contractual, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so supposedly he's definitely come back and supposedly they've already started like recording the voices and stuff, so – uh, I'm glad to hear that that's for sure coming back because I liked Lower Decks a lot. Uh, Ken wasn't the biggest fan. It, I was okay. One over. It, it I, got I it got the, better as it I, went. Exactly. I finished the first episode and I thought to myself, "I'm exhausted." And <laughs> and I realized, you know, I I have a 20 year old son, and this is the kind of like sh- no attention span TV that they that he thrives on, and that and. And I, I just felt like just trying. You could barely process something, and something else happened. So that wasn't really about Star Trek. It was about sort of. It was clearly aimed at a younger generation, on you know, purposefully. Um, and so I kind of walked away just feeling like, what was that? And then as it went on, a I think it calmed down a little bit, and b I just got it was so clearly a, a love letter to the fans. You know, talk about fan service. Um, if, if you don't know Star Trek, there's an awful lot in there. I don't know what it would be like. Maybe, maybe you don't need all those references. But uh, it, well, you, it, by the end, I was I was hooked. I was into it. Yeah, you wouldn't get a lot. You wouldn't get a chunk of the jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of them yeah. are brilliant. So, yeah. so my uh, thirteen. Well, he was thirteen at the time. He's fourteen now. Uh, he he has not watched much Star Trek at all. He, he's watched the a couple of the Kelvin movies, and that's about it. Um. And so we were, my wife and I were watching the Badgy episode of, uh, <laughs> of Badgy. Lower Decks. And we were like, hey, why don't, he just walked in and we were like, hey, why don't you sit down and watch us with this? You'll probably like it. It's, it's pretty funny. And, you know, we're rolling in the floor with the Badgy thing uh, and all the jokes. And, and he just was like, mm, okay, I don't get it. You know, so I was just like, oh, I guess you do need to have a pretty good understanding of what, the, what they're making fun of. Well, it's interesting because the whole point, as I understood it, of, of doing that show was to kind of get the younger generations into it. it it's sort of a point of entry, if you will. Um, certainly that's what the, the, the other show with Janeway is going to be. It's for little ones. Um, and they're trying to basically hook them while they're young. Um, 
which I don't think is nefarious as it sounds in this case, but um, <laughs> that but that really was the point was to was to get people you know that are are have it are young to be ooh this is cool and then watch everything else right well, that might have been the point but they definitely slipped into a lot of in jokes absolutely I mean it was it was brilliant the whole thing about how come only famous people show up on the on the holodeck and then they start listing them all and it's, it's, <laughs> it's well done it's well done yeah. yeah right so i'm going to say this one more thing about lower decks because it, here, here it is i was <laughs> talk about a fanboy when they went to the you know landros planet and um <laughs> they had you know they were talking about the second contact kirk and Spock and enterprise were here and they showed them on the tricorder they showed kirk and Spock on the tricorder, and they showed the original animated series Kirk and Spock. I just, I think that's when they won me over. That's, that was it. I was like, okay, man. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, there was a couple of nods to the uh, animated series. Yes, I remember. Right. You, you look in the background, you can see like characters and and creatures and aliens from there, like kind of splattered all over. Yeah, was, I thought that was good. Yeah, me too. Now that's good because you don't. I mean, you may not get that, but you don't have to. It it's in the background, from it. right? It doesn't right. detract from the storytelling. Exactly. But when you see it, when you spot one, you're like, yeah. Not yeah. to mention that it, you know, there's no, there is no longer should there be any conversation about is the animated the original animated series canon? It is. Of there. course, it's canon. Yeah, I always go off of what DC Fontana used to say, you know, because she she wrote it and she wrote the original series, and you know, in her mind, she was like, I don't understand why people would think it's not canon. You know, she was. So, uh, so I, I mean, I'm like, if they thought it was canon, then I'm going to consider it canon. Well, even though I do not particularly like the film, I am living with someone right now where we have weekly discussions about whether or not Star Trek V is canon or not, and I'm just (laughs) worn out. Well, you (laughs) you may prefer it not to be canon, but it's canon. That thank you. Well, and th- and that brings me to one of my comments on this book is that I really wish when Spock was lamenting about how much he missed, uh, you know, Burnham growing up, you know, and all that stuff. I just wish they would have just thrown in a line about, you know, his other brother, Cybok, who lives, you know, somewhere else, you know, or <sighs> something like that. Just acknowledge that he does have an extended family other than Burnham. Yep. I, I read I saw a picture of Cybok on Facebook this week. One of the one of the pages that I follow, and um, somebody said said exactly that. Why wasn't he ever mentioned in in Disco- the three seasons of Discovery? Since we're talking about Spock's family so much, right? And oh my goodness, did it get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses and lots of spirited debate? <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and it's two camps basically. It's like because it doesn't exist, it's not canon, and, and all that. And oh, then, no way. Well, Ken, we're on the same page. I'm with you. I, I absolutely. And oh, I, no, no. I, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, those right. people making those comments. And I I also agree, Donovan, that it would have been, talking about fan service, to the thro- just a throwaway line about Cybok would have right. been. Yeah, that, was a, that, was, that would be enough. Because I always took that Cybok was quite a bit older than him and that they did not, they were not raised at all together, right? I mean, right, I always took mother. it that. They even said that his mother's like a princess or something, a Vulcan princess or something like that, in one of the expanded universe stuff. So, I always took it that you know, you know, maybe uh, Sarek had a you know was married to her, or whatever, as some sort of obligation, and then he, you know, 
left her and then uh, got with Amanda, you know, because that's who he, you know, even though he can't love, that's technically who he loves kind of thing. You know what I mean? That one was a marriage out of responsibility and one was a marriage for for love. Um, But I never really thought that Cybok and Spock grew up together and were at Thanksgiving dinners and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were, but it was awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Like most Thanksgivings. I mean, you've heard the, I mean, do y'all know where the Vulcan princess thing came from? I mean, that was in something that we read. I don't know. I don't remember that. I have heard that. That came up in that big thing I was just telling you about on Facebook. Like, what, okay. was she going to be a Vulcan queen? You know? And then the whole conversation about royalty and what it is, and you can be a princess without being in line for the throne. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad somebody else is talking about it, because there, when I was saying that out loud just a minute ago, I was like, am I just making all this up? Because <laughs> I can't think of where I heard that from. I mean, it must have been in a book or something that I read as a kid. Must, might have been in the Star Trek V novelization, now that I think about it. Hmm. All right, so back to this issue. Um, when uh, Kor, since we're talking about Kor, is fighting that uh, that Play-Doh-looking purple Klingon, um, when he beats him and then has the Batleth up to his neck, isn't that a weird way to hold the Batleth by the blade part? Looking. Is it the end? So he's actually like holding the the sharp edge, and then the, yes. the pummel or whatever is well, facing towards. It's just showing how muy muy macho he is. Yeah, I guess so. Look at that. Yeah. He would get his fingers cut or his hand. And you do notice Ken that he has the the Discovery Klingon hands, right? His his fingers are those weird claw things, right? That Cor did not notice that. <clears throat> Yeah, so they're picking and choosing. Yeah. So, um, did they ever show his back? Because wouldn't he have like a a wharf back? Ridges down his back. Well, he definitely yeah. has those uh, ridges on his chest, like like she does. Chest. Oh, well, that's kind of subtle. Yeah, you, you say, you're saying above, you know, uh, above and above the uh, pecs, right in the middle. Right. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, so on the next page when he's like kneeling toward you can really see it. Yeah. It goes down. Yep. yep. Clearly, clearly Corey has been working out. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they made a real effort yeah. to present him as this sort of young stud like. Mm-hmm. So you said you didn't care for the art overall? I kind of didn't. You know, I, I thought in particular um, they did not get Pike well. Um, he he kept having weird expressions, um, but they did okay with Spock um, and Laurel. Who I, I grant you might be hard. I didn't you know, to to draw. It, it just it didn't look right. Something something doesn't look right to me. Right. Yeah. Laurel I thought looked, Laurel looked good, but it was Amanda that, that I thought was so bad. Oh, you did? Yeah. You like you thought Amanda looked good? Well, I I was thrown off at first, and I shouldn't have been. Because then I was thinking, hey, are they trying to make her look like a, a younger uh, Jane Wyatt? And then it's like, well, she's not Winona Ryder. It's like, oh, that's right. They recast her in Discovery. So right. Mia Kirshner is the uh, actress. So they, they drew her to look like Mia Kirshner. Okay, fine. Absolutely. And she, she, looks, she looks very full-featured. or feel, She just looks right. very round. She, she's too round. Yeah. The actress is 
her face is not brown. Like yeah, she's very slight in the, in the. I thought she was well cast actually in the show, but I, yeah. yeah. I think she did. I, what did you guys think of the art? I, I, I wasn't. I just wasn't that impressed with it. I, I thought it was good, but I'll agree with you. I mean, some of the uh, some of the people's faces were not one hundred percent great. Um, I think number one looked kind of round face too. Right, she did. Um, she was my next one. I was going to mention. <laughs> yeah. But overall, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I've seen better from IDW, but right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think for me, Kang, uh, Kang. <laughs> Um, core was probably the best. The the, the uh, what do you call what do they call it? A de-aged core. I think they did a good job. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, and I'm still not a fan of Tony Shastine's like bridge layout where he makes everything look like oversaturated and flat, kind of, and then just like people look like they're superimposed into their chairs. Um, hmm. He did it all through ongoing too, and I I've just never been a big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, it's very glowy too. All the lights, right? All right. So if you guys have the book in front of you, and I, don't, I guess they don't have pages where you can see them, but in the scene on the bridge, um, which is the first, you know, there's the shot of the Enterprise in space that takes up a whole page, and then there's a shot, um, like you're saying, it's the sort of foggy Enterprise. Mm-hmm. The second to the bottom panel, there is somebody in the back. Um, in a blue uniform, it's got to be Doctor Smith. Doctor Smith, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> From Lost in Space, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I don't see it. I don't see Doctor Smith in that. He looks a little a like. Little, him. There's a little Picardishness in it, actually. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I if it's not Doctor Smith. <laughs> So the, the artist is clearly it's a nod to somebody. It's it's too obvious, it, like right there. He's given such a geeky, geeky look to the um, the camera, if you will, or the you know the panel. You just get the feeling that that is not an accident. That there's this no. smiling face it, in the background. Yeah, it's like is is, it, is is that the face of somebody who's involved in the uh, in the TV series, or maybe the production of the comic book, or Something. I mean, it looks like like they try to make it look like a specific person in real. That's in, what I'm in, saying. In, that in, that in is not life. an accident. Yeah, and it really does yep. look like a man in a in a. I assume, presumably, woman's dress, and I'm guessing that <laughs> uniform. Well, now you're gonna have to go back and rewatch season two to see if that person's in the background on the Enterprise shot. Oh, yeah. And then you're gonna be like, oh, I guess I was wrong. Oh, there. Or all you feel say, oh, there he is, right there. <laughs> No, that's I think funny. I, I think that's, go right in. Th- there was a recent comic that had something like that too, where some random guy is coming in with Scotty to see how Kirk is uh, after he's been like irradiated or something, and it's like, well, who the heck's that guy? We never heard of that guy before, and they they drew him very specifically, very clearly, yeah. and it's like, why is he there? Um, and it was the same kind of thing. It must be somebody, like, you know. Not somebody who's ever on the TV series or anything, but it's like probably somebody who's in the back, you know, in in production of something. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm I I, I saw that face back there, clearly beaming, and I thought that there's a reason behind. There's a yeah. story here. <laughs> I want to. <know. laughs> it's like it, that's it, funny. Yeah, maybe it's like that. Uh, the the guy who was involved in Deep Space Nine uh, makeup. 
saying, I'm going to put a spoon on the Cardassian's forehead and everyone will accept it. <laughs> and yeah, it's like the next generation. It's like heart. a bet like this where he's uh, like, I'm going to put you in the comic. And Shastine says it to him and, and I'm going to put you in the comic. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, sure. Sure you are. So I know that it's canon in the show, but what do y'all think about Michael being able to do the nerd pinch? I'm not BS. Yeah. BS. Didn't like it, especially at such a young age here, but even in the show, well, I was like, no. mm. <clears throat> I I firmly believe you've got to have Vulcan, Vulcan strength as well as technique to be able to do the Vulcan neck pinch. And it's bad Ooh. enough uh, that they have adult Michael doing it. But then the right. kid, I I agree with you. On that one, Brian. That, that's well-reasoned. Yes. Okay. Well, all growing up, I always thought it had something to do with them being touch telepaths. That it was more of like, oh. somehow they were using their telepathic powers to like, jolt your nervous system. And it wasn't necessarily something, a technique you could learn until Data did it. And then I was just like, well, that threw that theory out of the, out of the yeah. water. But Data's got the strength, certainly. And all he has to do is watch Spock do it, or some Vulcan do it, and he, he should be able to reproduce it pretty much. But doesn't even Spock say to Data that he's never seen a non-Vulcan do it, which then kind oh. of throws in that, that this Spock has obviously seen Burnham do it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, didn't didn't work for me. And then they, then they redid it here, yeah. Right. All right, anything else? I just want to say that full-page drawing of uh, the Enterprise, which, of course, is the version from Discovery. Um, I, I, I thought it looked really good. I liked it. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I like that. I like that revisionist design in general and uh, the external view of it. I think they did a really good job on Discovery, and I think Shastine did a pretty good job uh, doing a full-page with it. So, right. That's it for me. So in Dis- in Discovery, do you think they always planned on having that final shot with the Enterprise in it? Because in earlier one, in yeah, in season one, because earlier in season one, they have they talk about the Defiant, the the USS Constitution class Defiant, and they show a picture of it, and it looks nothing like the Enterprise because it has oh, like boy, now I got to go back like and a, look at a that. little elbow in the uh, in the nacelle and everything. Yeah, it, it looks almost like the. Um, Enterprise D with a little elbow in the nacelle, but it's like, but it looks like there's like a tiny little nacelle yeah, but, in the elbow. Right. So, so was that, um, was that like a silhouette kind of thing, uh, or did they actually show the? It was know, on one of their screens, their view. Screens. Right, one of the view screens that shows kind of. So it was like a little, um, you know, uh, blueprint of it. Kind right. Of thing. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. Now that you mention it, I think I remember that too. Uh, yeah. I. Good point. So I've always wondered if, like, they changed their mind, like, from that issue or that episode to the end, you know, what the Enterprise was going to look like, or they just didn't care. <laughs> it wasn't. I don't know. You know, it's interesting because they're in the beginning. One of the issues I had with the first time I watched Discovery season one was all you can see is its departures from canon and how different it is, and the high tech doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, holograms and. They have really kind of tried to walk back from that. Um, you know, Pike doesn't want you to rip out all of the holograms from the Enterprise. And um, there were other other places where they were trying to say, oh, this is why. Or even just 
sending discovery into the future and not being able to talk about it because it had this spore drive. Um, right. there's, there's all these different ways that they're trying to almost undo what they did. So I, I wonder sometimes if they didn't listen to the fan base uh, and say, ooh, we need to kind of straighten things up here a little bit, or if they had from the beginning planned it the way it is um, to bring the Enterprise in that last frame mm-hmm. of, of uh, season one. Um, Interesting question. Did, did they presume, Presumably season one was done when they aired the first episode. So my assumption is that at least that part of it, the Enterprise was going to show up. Right. Oh, was the entire season done? A hundred percent when they when they when they show the first one? I mean, it wasn't. I'm making an assumption. Okay. It just seems like. I mean, back <clears throat> in the back in the day, do you remember how you we'd be able to watch like five episodes of Next Generation, and then we'd have to go to reruns while they were making more? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. So my father told. But I'm kind um, of well. Do, do you think this is just taking that same idea and just going a little further? Did do you think they always from the beginning planned on taking Discovery, you know, a thousand years in the future, or was that another my, adjustment? They, I, 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 this is my again total speculation. I think that probably they did plan to bring the Enterprise in at the end, um, but the idea of writing it up so that by the end of season two they had erased from history was probably and you know. They, look, look what else they did. Oh, the war is over, so the Klingons are growing their hair back. Because <laughs> everybody was like, what? Why do you have to redesign the Klingons again? Um, you know, I, again, I see evidence of ways that they are kind of acquiescing. Um, I don't think they plan to send it, uh, Discovery into the future until after season one when they were writing season two. And they were like, ooh, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, it was. But you know what? As far as like sending it to the future, um, and and how far back that that thought goes, in the very after the first season, they had the short treks, and one of the first short treks was uh, some dude waking up on the Enterprise or on the Discovery, and the Discovery's been in like a nebula for a hundred years or something yep. like that, um, and that was supposed to be so so far in the future where there the guy didn't even know what the Federation was, kind of thing. It was it was a thousand years and yeah, um, the during season three we had been watching the Enterprise computer with the sphere data evolve into that voice. But I mean, but then, but so was that another thousand years after, you know, assuming that Burnham and everybody leaves the ship forever, then it's going to be in another nebula for another thousand years. So that's have... three thousand years in the future from. I... Consider that season one. It, it I seemed that it was a thousand. Like she said, "I've been, I've been, I've been here for a thousand years." <clears throat> right. It never occurred to me that it was actually another thousand years. Huh. Well, if, if if she was literal, and she was sitting there for a thousand years in the nebula, it would it would have to be another thousand years, right? After the initial thousand year leap. Wow. There was a lot of speculation as to whether that episode, that that Minnesota, um, was short trek. Well, no, <laughs> I'm assuming short trek is canon, but if it would show up in in Discovery, season three, well, it would have to. But then they'd have to time jump again another thousand years. Well, this is what I'm saying: is this is a new concept? I need to mull it over. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I was watching season three, I kept I kept thinking, well, maybe they're gonna jump the 
the shark. They're gonna jump the ship back. <laughs> Maybe the ship has to go back and st- stay in the nebula until eventually the ship will catch back up with where the the crew is, and then that would explain why uh, it was you know by itself for so long. Mm. But then they never did, so I, I I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. But at some point we need to explain where that thousand years comes from. I need it explained. <laughs> I need it. I understand. No, I'm I'm I think well, we're intentionally being elusive. So in your uh next convention you go to, Star Trek convention, and when they have Christian Christian Bear there, you can get up there and ask your question and push your glasses back and, and ask your question, Donovan. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if she's there, I'm totally going to do that. <laughs> Excuse me, but exactly. a short track. Blah, blah, blah. And speaking of short track, in the uh, animated one, uh, did you all like that the Enterprise went from, like, the Discovery Enterprise to the original Enterprise to the refit Enterprise before it blew up and the little uh, tardigrade was trying to take care of her eggs or whatever? I remember the episode, and I do remember it, but when it got to the movie blow-up, it did change to the movie, but I didn't notice that it started as Discovery's Enterprise. Yeah, because I think it, it it actually has Pike and them in it, right? It's like what? supposed to be set during the Discovery time. Are they in it? Or uh, I think so. The, I, thought, original series. I thought it was Kirk and Spock. And... Well, yeah. I know they're in it when during the time when she's like, when the eggs are just chilling out for you know, 30 years. I mean, I generally don't like the little bots running around that fix things. I, I, it just, it's too black hole for me. I just, <laughs> you know, maybe. You mean the implementation, just, how they, how they drew them? Yeah. Yeah. Drew them. And then later they're in season three of enterprise. They're running around or actually they show up in season two, those little guys that they're now the voice of, of the sphere data sphere. Yeah. Right. They 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 show up a lot. They're running around fixing things, and um, I thought, wait a minute, the first time we saw that was in the uh, in the cartoon. Uh, excuse me, the animated episode yeah. of the short trip. Well, I think having some kind of little automated robots that can go out of the outside of the ship and fix things makes a lot more sense than what we got in Taws. I don't know. I just don't think you should be taking away jobs from uh, you know hardworking Scotties. <laughs> right, right. Okay, but I'm sure yeah. hardworking Scotties would rather fix things in the ship instead of doing spacewalks yeah. all the time. Well, let's just admit it. Even though I don't, you know, I'm obviously a Star Trek boy. Um, Star Wars did get it right. It's clearly going to be mobile toasters on the ground. That's, <laughs> that's true. Instead of floating toasters, like what we get. <laughs> but now that you mentioned uh, black black hole, yeah, those those ship those uh, little droids look just like the black hole droid. Yeah. Well, they they were certainly evocative of it, which which I remember when I watched it. I think it was in high school. I was like, "Oh, this is just painful." Ugh, what a cinematic landmark that was. They tried to be like they tried to to combine the sort of vastness of two thousand and one with the cute bots and an adventure of Star Wars, and it just failed on everything. Well, it was planet. Disney. You got to have cute something. And now, ironically, Star Wars is Disney. No, <laughs> everything's Disney. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to issue two? Yeah. Okay. One more quick thing to say, just because I live in Phoenix. So every time <laughs> they show Vulcan, it seems like everybody's outside. 
And, uh, I mean, well, yeah, they're, they're inside of Sarek's house, too. But, I mean, there's a lot of external shots. And there's, like, no buildings where, where Spock decides to walk or whatever. And, uh, and, and the same thing when he was, like, a little tyke. Um, but they keep... Shastine kept, keeps on featuring uh, what looks a lot like Joshua Trees on Earth. Oh. So, um, and you keep... That seems to be the main thing. Rocks in the background and a Joshua Tree and then some scrub bush. So uh, I just want to put a plug in for the Joshua Trees out there. Well, all right, for all you Joshua Trees listening, uh, that was Ken's plug for you. <laughs> well, you two did do an album about them. <laughs> I thought you meant for a second me and Donovan. I was like, we haven't done an album about them. You two. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think about that. Okay. <laughs> well, not yet, anyway. <laughs> All right. Let's do All right. two. Two. All right. So issue two came out September 2017. Uh, all the art and edit staff is the same. There was only two covers. The first one uh, by Angel Hernandez shows Laurel's face kind of in the background. And then a red like Nexus uh, energy and then we see some Klingon ships within that, and then like her hand in the in the foreground, as if she's holding this Nexus energy in her hand. And then the second issue or the second cover says that it's by Tony Shastine, but it looks like a photo cover, um, and it's uh, Pike in an EV suit, like walking down one of those uh, like uh, makeshift tunnels from uh, that episode where they're on the planet with with no oxygen, so. It looks like a photo, but the uh, it says that it's by Tony Shastine. So, all right. So the story starts with the Enterprise crew waiting for the appearance of Laurel and her Klingon assembly to the uh, conference. Uh, when she does arrive, she arrives in a very spectacular fashion. So instead of beaming or simply taking a shuttle down from orbit, Laurel instead has the huge cleave ship hover just over the city's skyline. Then she takes a small shuttle and uh, flies down to the meeting place. This shows her power to not just the Federation, but also to all her Klingon people who are either watching from there or from afar. Laurel's let's-just-get-down-to-business attitude impresses the Andorian ambassador named Shalik. Later, the meeting between the Federation and the Klingon Empire continues, and this allows Spock to start daydreaming about how his lost sister Michael should be the one here for the unification and not him. We flash forward to a little bit later. Um, the sessions are now taking a break. Laurel requests the, uh, the audience of Spock. She asks him why he's not wearing a uniform. He tells her that he's still technically on leave and he's just there as an advisor to Pike. She then asks him to be an advisor for her since she cannot trust her own people, nor can she fully trust the Federation. Spock seems to see the logic in this. Later at dinner, Pike impresses the Klingons by finishing his huge bowl of gak. As they are enjoying a post-meal adult beverage, there is an explosion and mass terrorists blast away many of the party members. Kor is hit while trying to protect the Chancellor. 
Spock and Pike escape via jumping out of a window into the snowy mountain below. As Laurel and the rest of the ambassadors are all tied up, the attackers reveal their face to be Klingons, who call themselves the Shadow of Kalis. They smash the butt of their rifle into Laurel's face, saying that her reign has at an end. Meanwhile, Spock is carrying an unconscious pike through the snowy surface, pleading with the man to just stay with him. To be continued. Cool. Okay. Action. Amped up. And a little bit of humor. We get the gawk scene, which was... Oh, right. Yeah, that was... Yeah. I, I I think he drew it pretty good. But isn't that like the largest amount of gawk anybody has had? I mean... Riker's bowl was tiny compared to that thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, well, they definitely overplayed that and like slurping it down. Like, ooh. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, his face is pretty funny. I don't think I can get that down if it was just pasta. You know what I mean? It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I was reading this, it, it made me think of Discovery Season 3 when um, the uh, ambassador or admiral uh, – is talking about he's never eaten a real apple to uh, the Orion pirate. Um, so if this was replicated, oh, that gawk, was... then we yeah. know what it's made out of. <laughs> yeah, that was, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about the series. That was definitely a, a, a moment. <laughs> what, what did he just say? Um, I don't know. I, 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 the thing that stood out for me, which is just, it's, as, as silly as it can be, is why, first of all, why does Spock need to be having an existential crisis? I really felt like at the end of season two, he had sort of resolved a whole lot of things. And this is even before the, the final you know, shot on the bridge, that he had sort of kind of come to some resolution. And all of a sudden, he's like, you know, wringing his hands back on Vulcan. And, um, and, and why on earth does he think that Michael should be doing, you know, doing, be the one to be leading the chart. I just didn't get it. I agree I especially like, agree with that Michael thing. Right. Yeah. It takes away Spock's accomplishments in both Star Trek six and the unification part one and two, and kind of makes it think that, oh, is, did he only do those things because he's trying to live up to Michael, which, which I think does a disservice to Leonard Nimoy's Spock. In my mind. Well, okay, right. but, but I didn't see it that way. I just didn't but he's a young, it. he's a very he's a young Spock here. I mean, he's and he's not as comfortable in the skin yet as obviously Leonard Nimoy Spock was. But still, I think they really overplayed it. I mean, look at the shining light behind Michael. Oh, Michael! I wish Michael were here. It's like. You see stuff like this, and then you think about those YouTube commenters that call her a Mary Sue and all that kind of stuff. Like so much hatred towards Discovery. And you kind of wonder, do they have a point to some degree? (laughs) It's like, uh, I I really didn't like that panel. and And I thought maybe they were just doing it because this is called Star Trek Discovery. And they just needed to shoehorn, you know, <laughs> a shot of some people that are actually in Discovery into this miniseries. You don't have to do that. I know they don't have to, but maybe somebody buying it off the rack wants to make sure that they see Burnham in there at least once. Hmm. Well, you can do that. It's just, I think they overplayed. I, 
I think this speaks to the the way storytelling has changed on television. But just this morning, in fact, I I opened up a post that showed a a nice picture of the Discovery crew, like everybody on it. In and um, it said, "Can you name every one of these characters?" No. And I and I couldn't. not by a long shot. And, and and that, of course, was the the reason for hatred and criticism about the fact that the show isn't as good, even though. They clearly made a decision to go a different direction than the standard Star Trek seven people on the bridge, you know. Um, but it, it was also, to your point, Ken, about, you know, maybe they have a point. There was, it was startling to me to say, you know, I've been watching these, some of these characters for three years and I don't even know all their names. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but if you think about where you were season three of uh, Next Generation... I mean, you would also be in the same boat. I mean, O'Brien didn't even have a name until, I think, like season two or three. Smiley. You know, he he was... No, that wasn't until later, until he became Transporter Chief. I don't joke. think they even... He didn't even have a name. But but we we because we've seen him for seven years, we're like, okay, yeah, that's definitely O'Brien. We know, we know who he's going to fall in love with. We know his kid, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, we just... Maybe we haven't got that far in Discovery. I don't know. But I agree that I... I'm well, always telling my wife the same thing that I wish well, I knew were, more about all these characters. There were only three seasons of Star Trek: Taz, and and there were fewer characters. Agreed, but you knew who all the characters. I mean, the main characters were. Yeah, even Nurse Chapel. Um, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know who like the uh, the other crew mem- the other helmsman is, other than Sulu. I forget his name. You always mention him by name, but. I mean, I don't think the average watcher would, would know who, who that guy is. Well, no, but, I mean, it depends about how far... I mean, we're talking a weekly characters. I mean, those are... All those people sprinkled around the bridge on Discovery, they're in pretty much every episode, usually saying not much. But right. sometimes they get a lot. Right. They got a little bit more screen time and you know in this particular season i thought they were trying yeah, hard i think they were did making that. an effort now um and i was actually made a comment i was like this is really good that that they're spread including around them a little more but i still don't even know who they all are yeah right i still don't know who the the communications officer i don't know what his name is at all no he's just yeah the, the two guys smiles. i i don't i don't know their names i i, I don't know sorry yeah I, that's why i wish there was an ongoing comic book you know like when we were, when I was a kid, there was the Next Generation comic from DC Comics, which filled in all this information and and was able to give you backstory. Whether it was canon or not, you still knew more about all the people than than you would just from watching the shows. Yeah, I, I, I think I think again, it, it it shows a difference in storytelling and the way that that you know, you know stories are produced and um, directed. I think it's on, on not on purpose that we don't know the characters, but just there is a focus on Michael Burnham. She's like in almost every scene, and it right. centers around it's her story, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll, yeah, it's it's her that. journey for sure. Okay. Although Saru's uh, a close second, well, the closest second anyway. Agreed. Oh, what a great job. Uh, the actor. Oh, Saru is going to be the, the the standout. That's going to be the classic. I'm dying to know how they're going to. Obviously, he's going to continue in the show, but he's now been not on the for at least for the moment on the ship. So I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, they um, actually. I I I can't remember his name. I know you guys know his name. Uh, 
Mm, the actor. The actor? Yeah. Doug Jones? Doug Jones, that's right. Okay, so Doug Jones apparently tweeted uh, relatively recently that he's back to work uh, filming uh, season four. And right. I guess they began filming season four like in November or December or something like that. So he's he's probably not going to be in the first episode, few episodes, because he's back yeah. at his home planet. But, you know, obviously they're going to bring him back, you know, a few episodes in, it sounds like, at least based on his delayed uh, involvement in uh, filming. Mm. So can we take a sidebar and talk about him, why he's gone, or do we need to wait till after the comics? We can do whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can. I mean, you, so how you old is that? That kid that he he's now help raising right the the like thirty the or something child, or whatever, whatever. I forgot Is how that... many years. I mean he no, he's he, like a hundred years. He was old. like a, yeah. He, I thought he was supposed to be over a hundred years old. Oh my god! Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, well been how in old the, is how old is for over a hundred years? Okay, but but did he experience time at the same rate? I mean, at at real rate? I don't know. I think so. And they just said that the the ship was somehow keeping him alive, which I. I called BS on. Well, he, I, I had a real hard time with that part. I, I liked the story, but I just his age and his maturity and, and that he still <clears throat> exists a hundred years later, I had a real hard time with. Did, well, did I, 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 I could understand the maturity since he had no social, no true social true, true, true. Like I said, I like that part. That part I was okay with. It was just that he existed, that he is over a hundred years old <laughs> and that he's not bones next to his mom, right? I mean, there's no way a holodeck can just keep you alive. Well, that's right. We don't know that's that, part we, of my we point. Know, uh, do we know the natural um, age range of, of the Kelpians? I mean, yeah, they, I, they, I don't. They, they all got eaten before they were got old. So now that we have, been, <laughs> you know, well, um, well, they did so, have elders, right? I mean, he, his dad was there, and his dad was visibly older than he was uh, oh. than uh, than Saru. Okay, so the old, the old, the old Kelpian. Good point, by the way. I forgot about him. Um, he was the father. No, I no, no. He was no. just some I'm old Kelpian. In, in, uh, when, program. in the flashbacks, when it showed Saru on on the planet before yeah. he went to Burnham or yeah. went with a. Uh, uh, you're doing a short trek, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a short trek. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but I mean, but still, it showed. His father and his father was quite a bit older than he was, so we yeah, know he, that they and he they looks older. And he looks older. Now right. that character in the episode, uh, the surviving—I forgot his name—the surviving uh, Kelpian, um, right. he does not look old at all. No, he looks like a kid still, he, a young he, man. Exactly. So, but there's a lot. This is this is a criticism of mine with bits and pieces of uh, discovery either they they don't bother explaining certain things and they just say just go with it uh or they explain it so quickly that i i miss the explanation because that whole thing about when they were in that ship and they had the holograms going and then everybody was when they were in the holograms they they switched species i mean that that Doug Jones could show his own face. I didn't want to see Doug Jones as a human. Well, I, 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 I like that. I'm fine yeah, with like it. I mean, on Deep Space Nine, when they all got to take their makeup off for well, holodeck episodes or alternate universe episodes. Yeah, and I'm fine with seeing Doug Jones. But the explanation for that, 
sucked. <laughs> it, it was a little forced. It was a little forced. I appreciate the pause while you looked for the right adjective. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it, it, and maybe I'm, I, I think I remember hearing enough of the explanation. That I was like, oh, that's weak. So this is just an opportunity to have some people swapping around and we can see Doug Jones. So he doesn't have to go with the makeup for a week. Good for him. But mm, I just hate that kind of thing. Anyway, whatever. And then, and, Actually, then the, and then the whole explanation why the young guy who was there for so long looks like what I think is a younger Kelpian. Yeah, I mean, a hand. young adult called Kelpian. Right. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, if they would have said that time works different because of the dilithium nebula or whatever. It's time Fine. dilation. They didn't say it, but they, they didn't say time it. Time dilation. It's, it's simple. Um, I, I felt, I, one of the things I felt about that whole thing was, and, and I get it, but grammatically, but the fact that it'd been a hundred years and somehow they get him off seconds before the thing falls apart. You know, it was, it, it was the epitome of the nick of time syndrome. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, when they actually beam him off and the whole it, place falls apart. It literally is a second or two before the whole thing crumbles. Yeah. Right. Right. So he's there for a hundred years and they get him out. Second of like. It's artificial thrills, and if you do too much of it, it doesn't work. And another thing that doesn't work, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then we, maybe we should get back to the comic, is there was <laughs> so much forced emotion. People crying, you know, whatever, in these episodes. It's like, oh my God. Can, I mean, that's fine if you have some emotion every once in a while. They're human beings. They're not wind-up dolls. But it's like, oh, my God, they were like, Michael was crying every other episode, sometimes in multiple episodes, having this big emotional uh, scene. Anyway, I didn't right. like it. Yeah, I didn't care. Well, and also, also the Indira's lover being suddenly able to be seen by everybody else, that was a convenient, dramatic plot twist. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it'll be interesting seeing him next season. Because I think that's what they're going to do, right? I mean, he's going to be like a have a hollow transmitter or something. Yeah, he had it at the end of uh, in at the end of the series, right? <laughs> they could all see him on the, the show. season. Huh. I, I think he's a good character, but I just thought it was strange that they. You know, it just seemed like a stretch. Yeah. Right. Yeah, kind of. I mean, but yeah, why? Why just him and not all the other memories that are inside the trail? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, they were intimate, so there's that. That okay. might have something to do with it, you know, meaning especially emotionally tied to, so. Yeah, plus supposedly there was something where his state of being after dying was not like all the other people right? that were joined with that particular trill. It was something different. He said something about it being different. He's alone or I forgot what it was. But supposedly it was something different for him than a normal Trill host. Um, and it was bad. So now he's going to be a, have a hollow transmitter. So great. Good for you. Back to the comic? Yep, back to the comic. Why are Andorians considered like neutral? Aren't they members of the Federation and not at all neutral? Yeah, yeah, and they hate Klingons. <laughs> I mean, aren't they kind of funny. violent too? Aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was funny. That's why I liked when uh, Laurel just like walks up and is like, "Let's do it." 
you know, and he's like, I like her already. I thought that was really cool. Because I mean, that because just because I know of all the backstory of Klingons and, and Andorians, and and if that all still holds true, then then that was a kind of a cool uh, nod of respect to her but from somebody that traditionally wouldn't like her. Hmm. Y'all didn't think that? I I, I don't I, I don't remember the history. Uh, so so they well, they don't like anybody. They they they're pretty well. Okay, so I re- definitely remember. Um, in Enterprise, they had a lot of Andorians, and that particular actor—I don't remember his name—but Jeffrey Combs. Oh, yeah, him. Yep. I mean, he was great. He was great as that Andorian character. Uh, but he was like a violent guy. I mean, you know, I think they have a, I think they have a violent race. So from that, right. I definitely got that part of it. Uh, right. That's what I'm saying. Is, is first of all, the, our first introduction to Andorians is the traitor on in journey to Babel, Right. 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 And then, um, who was a fake Andorian though, wasn't he? Oh, I don't think so. His antenna broke off. His antenna broke off. And didn't that, didn't that have the, the homing device in it? Yeah. Right. Oh, so he, he was a real Andorian. I thought so. Okay. I thought it was a real Andorian, but you know, then we see them in the movies here and there Mm -hmm. and then, but you know, just in the background, and then I'm surprised when I find out that they were a founding member of the Federation and that you're right. Shran was his name was kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> you know, pink skins called him the pink skins. Right. He was just, he, he, he seemed like an angry race. Yeah. by the way, had hats off to Jeffrey Coombs. He's played so many roles in star Trek. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, he actually was, he played two characters in Deep Space Nine that both showed up in the finale, um, brought them both back. I thought that was good. He had two different roles in the same episode. Um, yeah. I, lo- I loved him as Wayum. When they killed yeah. off Wayum, I was I was really mad. And then they brought him back in the next episode as a clone of Wayum. I was like, oh, that's, that's over and over <laughs> and over. They did that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the first time they did it, I was really mad because I, I, thought, I thought he was dead, dead. As I look as I look at the at the issue at hand, I'm realizing maybe I got it wrong. It says here, I'm Admiral Shalak of Starfleet on behalf of the United Federation of Planets. I welcome you to Vasset Three. It is our hope that this neutral world will be remembered as the birthplace of our new and bountiful peace between our civilizations. So it's not on Andor. No. So no, maybe he's no. not saying that the Andorians <clears throat> are neutral. Um, no, I thought he was just the admiral that was brokering the peace with her right because i mean it wouldn't be pike because i mean he's just a captain so they're in switzerland but he's not swiss okay exactly there you go (laughs) there you go so did y'all like do you like the discovery version of andorians i'm not the biggest fan i don't know why they added the extra brows yeah where do we see them in discovery and where am i um when they go to the mirror universe, they're they're there with um, mirror uh... crew members. No, what what's Spock's dad's name? Oh my goodness, I am having a hard time. Sarek. Sarek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In that little uh, coalition of aliens, they're there with 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 Sarek. Hmm. Yeah. Why add ridges just to add ridges? That's silly. Because they changed everything. They were like, we're starting over. 
Well, they said, wait, look at all this money they're giving us to make these things. Got to spend it somewhere. Yeah, I guess. So yeah. you guys like to point out just random random dudes in the background. Um, there is a random guy in a red shirt. <laughs> oh, that's between uh, next to Pike's head? Well, yeah, between Pike and the Andorian at yeah. the dinner table. That has to be somebody. He looks like a normal guy. Yeah, I agree with that. Come of the Gox no, uh, no, no this the is... next page. When they're at the dinner table. Oh, yes, he shows up a couple of times and well, he's smiling. Okay, yeah. hold on. Okay, so I thought you were talking about the beginning one after uh, Laurel uh, landed. And they're, and they're taking them, uh, they're meeting for the first time? Yeah, it's the same guy. Oh, okay, so he yeah, shows up. Is. Okay, cool. So he I shows up multiple a, times. I think he's a friend of the, another friend of the artist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah you... just a, a, a black dude with a uh, bald dude with a with a goatee. Just, well, you know, may, just may, maybe they got a business going on the side. <laughs> if you pay us five hundred bucks, we'll put you in an issue. We'll put you in the comic book, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Your way to get into Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would pay. Be like, yes, put me in one. <sighs> I'll be that weird crew member in the background grinning. Um, I found it to be. I, find, I found the whole thing of, of what is it? The shadows of Kales. Um, that felt a little like a trope. After a while, you know the the when the, the whole not much happens in this story. I felt like I'm gonna I'm gonna come out here with, with. I didn't really like this whole series because I didn't feel like there was much there was much consequence or much weight, and it didn't make sense to me. You know, let's have a a peace talk that doesn't really work that doesn't really move the story along and then the whole idea of it being sabotaged as expected by this subgroup of Klingons um, called the Shadows of Kalos. I don't know it didn't work for me well it seemed, sure, you know, it, it, I know you guys liked it but well it seemed like it was taking us to some place but the biggest thing it the, the biggest storyline idea of there being um, some kind of a piece, a lasting piece, was totally scrapped by the end. But another secondary thing in here is uh, Spock had to get his mojo back. So that was, even though we thought he had his mojo back in the final episodes of season three, no, he doesn't have his mojo back yet. Um, That's exactly the point that I'm making, was that they, they, they created that that existential crisis yeah. so that they could have this little three issue story. And he, he did, he was doing really well at the end of, or even before the last scene of, of discovery season two. So I was just like, why are we suddenly, you know, creating yeah. a situation so that it can be resolved? It, it really felt that way in yeah. general on the, on the three issue story arc. I felt like it didn't really go anywhere. And then when the Klingon showed up, as a subgroup of Klingons, I was like, yep, right on cue. All right, so real quick, um, I agree with you that I thought that when Burnham left with Discovery, I thought that Spock's doubting himself and stuff, storyline was over. So I agree with you that this this doesn't need, seem to be needed for that, uh, for him to start believing in himself again. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the shadows of Kalis and stuff, I do I do like that part. And and if you think about it, there was a piece between 
the Klingons and the Federation in during the original series, even before the the Treaty of uh, the uh, Orion. Organia. Yeah, even before that, I mean, they're not all out fighting each other. Well, no, it was Cold a, War. They have agreed upon uh, neutral neutral zone, so there is some well, somewhat of a peace there. So, I mean, yeah, they don't they don't have ambassadors on each other's planets, and they don't have you know a technology <clears throat> a uh, you know cadet exchange program or whatever like they're talking about. No, it was that's one of our goals of this. But I mean, but there is. There's not an open hostility. Well, no. um, well, it's, it's a Cold War. It's a right? Cold War. So, it's a Cold War. And no. that Cold War, <clears throat> like the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, it could bu- bubble over any, any time. Because, of course, we all know this, uh, Federation is the United States and the Klingons are Russians. So right. it's, a, it's, it's a Cold War that Metaphor. could bubble over at any time. Right, and I thought this whole Shadows of Kalis thing really drove home how fragile you know the federation is putting all their eggs in Lorel's basket right she's the only one that's trying to keep them together and broker any type of even a hostile peace right so if if she's gone if the shadows of Kalis wins then then yeah they'll be back to a full klingon war and they didn't fare very well in the first one so uh, they really need to keep her happy and her, you know, keeping all the other keep ones her in power. power, right? If they can, which is something that the United States has done in the past too, where they, you know, try to put people in power in other countries when maybe they shouldn't have been involved. Am I wrong? Was there a line in some other iteration of Star Trek where they basically say a woman will not be chancellor or in charge? Wasn't that kind of established? They also established that Spock in the Klingon was the Empire? First, Where? first officer. The first non-human first officer. And there was never a woman captain. There's a lot of sexist stuff that we've kind of all co- uh, collectively forgot about. It is hard to hear the original Pike say, I just can't get used to a woman on the bridge. Exactly. <laughs> in the cage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that while I was reading this, just about how much... You know, we all want to complain about how the Klingons don't look right, blah, 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 blah. But there's so much stuff that we all agree upon forgetting, right? We all agree that, you know, when Kirk switches bodies with that woman and they say that no woman's <laughs> been captain, we all have chosen to forget that line. And that Oh, I, Lester. I choose to forget that entire episode. So, I mean... So, yeah, and, and it's funny because I was really thinking about all that stuff while reading this because I was one of those guys that really hated the Klingons uh, in season one. <laughs> but I have come to, like, realize that, uh, you know, it, it needs to adapt. And, and I thought Core right. would serve that purpose. This is Core. Whether he looks like the Core from the original series or looks like the Core from Deep Space Nine, it's still Core with bumpy head and, and pointed fingers and everything. No, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you'll remember, I'm the one who wrote the letter to the editor that showed up in one of the Star Trek, the DC Star Trek comics that said, this is 30 years ago, you know, you've got to pick and choose and kind of adapt to to what you need it to be. Otherwise, you're in too deep, I believe is what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, yeah, I get that. I get the point. Um, It just occurred to me when you were speaking and I was looking at this picture here. 
you know, yes, I'm being critical of the fact that 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 um, Spock was, you know, pining over how Michael should have been there at the at this conference instead of him. Is could that actually be a just attempted irony since he ends up being the peace broker with the Klingons in Star Trek Six? I don't think so. I thought it was taken away. I was thinking the you know, I was thinking the opposite. I was like, are they trying to say that? Burnham has planted the seed of unification in in his mind, and that's why it, he does it in Star Trek Six. Uh, well, which yeah. I, I didn't like that thought. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm all there. for like giving Burnham credit and and helping her shape Spock into who he is, but I don't want. <laughs> I guess now I sound like those other guys where I'm like I don't want her to take away too much of what made Spock Spock, or take credit for. Or what made Spock Spock? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's a fine line. Did you think it was weird that, um, and this maybe the last issue that that Lorel wants like Spock as a confidant, and it's okay because he doesn't have the uniform on, so he doesn't have any conflict of interest. I thought that was odd. I I did I thought it didn't work. Is that why they kept him out of the uniform so that he could be this sort of like you know whispering in both their ears and. I didn't well, think it worked either. And again, it was it was the whole Michael thing. She only trusted him like that because um, because of Michael. She respects Michael. Exactly. Michael is her sister, so she will respect you, right? And he, again, I thought pretty- it was this kind of shoehorning her character into this, or the legacy of her character into this. Okay. What did you think? I mean, I'm not sure what I how I what to make of it when. Um, I'll just say, obviously, we know what happened. But when all of a sudden Spock hugs Captain Pike just before crashing through the window, did I have this moment of like, what is going on here? You know what I mean? They, they get shot at, and then next thing you know, they're hugging. I, like, I knew, you know, I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't, you know, slash. I knew it wasn't supposed to be love. But um, it was, I just, and then, and of course, it, it gets resolved as soon as you cast your gaze to the right. And they're crashing through a window. But uh, do you trust me, Captain? Of course. Why? All in and afraid. <laughs> okay. I just wondering if it was just me. Okay, I know I'm the gay one. So I just still wanted to know. Well, yeah, so uh, you, were, you, were, thought... you were wondering about some kind of fan fiction come to life? What? Yes. <laughs> I was just like, what is happening? I'm telling you. <laughs> I, get, I get that it's probably me. But I, it was just like, I had this moment of reading this book being like, what is happening here? Yeah. Um, no, I thought they were going to do what they've done several times in the Kelvin movies is he was going to hold him, jump out the window, and then when they're transport. falling, they were going to leave the leave the the jamming area and then be able to transport back to the Enterprise before they squished on the ground. Ah, that's, that's where I thought they were going. So I was kind of surprised on that last page when when they're still on the ground and Spock's carrying him. Right. Well, to be honest, when I saw that first uh, panel when they jump out, it's like I thought they were splashing into water. Uh, yeah, it looks like that. It does because uh, the, what's and, supposed to be the glass yeah. is looks. Yeah, looks like it's because uh, if you're if you're heading, I mean, if that's I don't know how high in the air that is, but uh, you know, depending on how high in the air it is, you probably want to be splashing into water than uh, than hard packed snow. But who knows? I don't know. Particularly since they are upside down, 
you know, they're going to land on their necks. Yeah, they're going to crack them. They're dead. They're as good as dead. Maybe that's why uh, Pike's not moving around in that last page, because uh, he did. <laughs> he broke his <laughs> neck. That's it. Little did we know, this is how he got into the, uh, the wheelchair. <laughs> into the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to wrap up oh. by saying, uh, I just have a few comments. First thing is that ship that Lorella came down in reminded me of Firefly from the TV oh. show Firefly. Okay. Um, Firefly design, uh, where the pilot is, the you know the the bridge, whatever. Uh, it's it's a it's kind of like a, a goose head looking affair with the the Serenity spaceship. Uh, it's a Firefly 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 class, I think. But Serenity is the name of the ship. Anyway, so that front head looked to me a lot, kind of a lot like like LRL's, uh craft. And then also, of course, in in Serenity, it's got a uh, a very squarish bottom where they have all the cargo and stuff. And of course, I mean, it's really a rectangle in Lorel's ship. So that uh... anyway, it just reminded me of 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 Firefly. Right. And then uh, I was uh... just thinking of uh, the Star Destroyer above Jeddah and Star Wars Rogue One, just like. You know, the Star Destroyer comes down into the atmosphere and is just mm-hmm. barely hovering over the planet or right. over the sea. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah, cleave yeah, ship? That, that's what this made me think of. It's just like you have this huge, the cleave huge ship, ship just, just sitting there. Okay. Uh, and then the last thing, I just wanted to comment on the, the rifles that the uh, that the uh, with the shadows of Kalos or whatever the hell they are, um, I thought were really... They look like 20th century rep weapons except for that ridiculous tube on top. I mean, was that supposed to be some kind of sight or something? Anyway, I'm just looking at the rifles saying they kind of look like a, a modified AK-47 with a stupid-looking tube on top. And uh, Well, the tube is where the, it's like a double-barreled phaser. So it, <laughs> it, it, it emits the energy from both the upper and the lower barrels. Okay. Well, uh, except for the tube on top, it looks like kind of like an AK-47 that's all blacked out. So I just thought it looked like a 20th century weapon. So that's cool that... Okay, so it, it, it's, it's a second emitter. Okay, I, did, I didn't notice that. But um, mm. I just thought it looked 20th century, very 20th century-ish, and I thought the tube on top looked stupid. Anyway. Can I just say before we move on that throughout Star Trek comic book review, Ken, I have always appreciated the fact that you take precise detail to ships and weapons. And I thought, I think... Good for you. I mean, I really like. It's it my specialty. Adds, it's it is my specialty. It is, and I just tell you, I appreciate it. So there you go. It's because he has models of of all these guns, so he he's he's handled they're, those. Uh, Donovan, they're props. <laughs> they're not models. They're my, my props. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. what do you think of the batleth, the the really ornate batleth that? Uh, that one guard of Laurel has when she comes off the shuttle. I've never seen that before. I didn't, very, I didn't even notice it. Let me go back. It looks very dainty and like it would break. <laughs> Let me get back. Yeah, it looks ceremonial. Oh, that right. thing. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the weirdest design Batleth. Matter of fact, until you just said that, I didn't even think of it as a Batleth. It just looked like some weird 
kind of sort of bladed weapon. I, I don't know. But yeah, that's that's the most unique Batleth I think I've ever seen. It, if that is indeed a Batleth, I guess it is. All right, anything else for two? Nope. Star Trek Discovery, issue three, Aftermath. Um, the cover is Spock in his Starfleet uniform and his traditional haircut, clean-shaven, giving the Vulcan salute, which has been absconded from the Jewish people. But there it is. And below him is um, Laurel and what looks like her own defense team ready for battle um, surrounding her and defending her as she stands heroically. There is a second cover, a photo cover of Pike, which I've actually seen, but I've heard tell of it's uh, Captain Pike uh, in photo form. Uh, The credits are essentially the same as the other two issues. Here we go. Lorel being held captive by the shadows of Kalos, is taunted by their leader, who promises to kill her without honor, executed on Kronos, so all can witness her disgrace and see that honor is restored to the Empire. She alludes that she anticipated their attack and is prepared, but the perpetrators explain that they have come from within her orbiting starship and have betrayed her. Meanwhile, Spock assists the wounded Pike through the frozen wasteland while continuing his therapeutic existential musings, he finds an entrance to what is presumably the infrastructure of the building they just descended from and tells Pike to rest. In his compromised state, Pike orders Spock to find Laurel because everything depends on her. Spock agrees with the logic and returns somehow to the building where he attacks and subdues an armed guard and takes his weapon and gruesomely kills the captors. Spock and Laurel have a chummy reunion, and she explains the situation. Spock can't communicate to the Enterprise, presumably because communication is being blocked by the Klingon warship. Laurel hails the ship and again explains that she has a plan. She starts to give commands in Klingon, which for some inexplicable reason are not translated by the Dicta Robatori, which locks out the control and crashes the ship into the side of the hill where it is witnessed by Spock and Pike. From the window of the conference center, thereby killing everyone on the ship, traitor and loyalist alike. Back on the Enterprise, number one teases Pike about eating Gach and implies that he's going to be excretingly sorry. All the hostiles on the planet are accounted for, and the delegates are being treated in sickbay, where Laurel is thanking young Kor for his loyalty, though implies she's aware of how tenuous such appearances of loyalty are. Still, she believes in him. Peace negotiations have failed. Pike tries to see the bright side, insisting to Laurel that they have made some progress. She is noncommittal, but acknowledges appreciation for Spock and Starfleet's help during the incident. Spock decides he's right where he should be, thereby resolving his existential crisis. He'll keep looking for Michael's signal, but accepts his calling and puts on the Starfleet uniform. Shave and a haircut. Two bits. But I'm bum. Yeah. Cool. Y'all like how they portray her as Una, as being so jovial? 
I don't know, like when she went on and on about, oh, I'm so glad you didn't shave your hair, your your beard, beard, blah 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 blah. I mean, that's that's not in in keeping with Michelle Barrett's version of her. I didn't think who was almost like a spot character herself. Well, yeah, was I, it, didn't, was, I didn't. Go on. Oh, she was speak. She was singing Gilbert and Sullivan with Spock in the turbo lift. So, right. Everything. There are sides to these people, these characters, apparently that uh, we're, we weren't always privy to. Well, that's it. you're making an interesting point. You know, number one on in the cage is essentially like she is the Spock character in yeah. a sense. She's emotionless and she's very, you know, uh, all business. And I thought that the short trek where she sings with Spock, since obviously Spock also is, you know, supposed to not be showing emotion, was an attempt to, to give us that other side of her so that it would make the character more interesting. And, th- and that she won't be in the future on the show con- confined to just being that little bit of that we, little screen time we saw in the cage. They've got to expand that personality somehow. And I thought that was a, an intentional um, bid at trying to do that. No? Yeah, I, yeah. I understand sure. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe the original intent is that if the original pilot was what they went forward with, you would have seen those other sides of uh, Una. Um, but you know, we never got to that. All we had was the first pilot. Right. Well, I always thought you know that the not wearing the uniform. I'm glad it was just the whole. Now we can. Now you don't have to talk to me like a Starfleet officer. I can really confide in you. I, I didn't buy it. Yeah, I, I didn't think I didn't think that the characterizations in this were spot on. I thought I thought they did a good job with Pike because he's got that kind of like cross between he's you know he's, he's kind of absolutely Starfleet all the way, but also very personable and charming. Um, I thought they did a pretty good job with that, and I thought they did a good job with the characterization of Spock, um, in spite of the fact that clearly I didn't think that he needed that he needed to be in the existential crisis. But since he was, they did a good job. Um, with him, but I did not think they did a good job with Laurel. And number one is still kind of a mystery to me. Yeah, well, she definitely would. Go ahead. Uh, she, number one definitely was not the focus of this uh, of this three part. Right. Yeah, I did like her joke about the gawk, uh messing with your intestines later, <laughs> uh, <laughs> especially so uh, much of it. Oh my god! So the joke I think was really funny, and uh, but. I was mainly thinking about uh, number one's comments about the beard earlier. Just I, I didn't care for those that part. Right. Oh, it did humanize her a bit, but yeah. I mean, she she is not human, right? I mean, she we don't know. isn't from Earth. Well, again, that's that's expanded media. That that's expanded that media isn't canon in anymore, or I don't think it ever really was. Well, I, according to DC Fontania, she was not human. She was like almost like a computer person uh, oh but but they never really did anything with that in any other oh. comic books or anything well in the not- and yeah, my guess exactly. would be as they develop you know her into an actual character in <clears throat> strange new worlds they're not going to want to have two spots right oh absolutely yeah so they're going to have to expand her uh personality in some way right another thing that was a little bit annoying is um Pike was going on and on about 
he's facing all this new thing and he has to make all the right moves and all the right decisions and everything. And he really needs to have Spock by his side. And he wasn't talking about number one at all. And, uh, and maybe that's because he already had number one and she was on the ship. No problem there. So he was focusing on Spock, but really when he says, I need to have, uh, people with me, helping me make the right moves, I mean, that's, that's your first officer. Uh, so, yeah, great. Spock, too. Lieutenant Spock. Yeah, bring him on. But, I mean, what about Una? Anyway. Well, he does say that she and Spock are the only two people he trusts. Yeah. So at least he got, she got a call out. I just got it. Una. <laughs> oh. What? I didn't, no. You're talking about number one, right? Well, that's her name. Yeah, they say that's her name. Do they? I missed that. No, they they did in the. Um, it was that elevator scene, right? In that elevator episode. Um, tricks. I'm not sure if they said it there. They might have, but oh, definitely goodness, her name's. That? Well, yeah i I read well, an expanded universe time, book. She was always number one, and and what her name was was a mystery. And yes, then, and then they started peppering in that it was una and that that seems to have stuck yeah right and of course well, you know number one is is a i don't know if it's a naval thing but it's certainly a gene roddenberry thing right um, i think it's a naval thing but then in the in the marvel comics her last name was leffler right her name was una leffler or something like that because she was she was like the mother of one of the cadets in starfleet academy robin's mother Really? I thought, I thought Leffler was uh, no, you're right. Was Judd no. or something that uh, Ashley Judd from the Next Generation? Right. That uh, Wesley was kind of hot on. Was that it? Uh, I don't yeah, know. you're right. You're right. You're right. But she was somebody's mother in in that Starfleet Academy series. Right. Right. It's been a few years since we read it, so right. a little yeah, little rest. I I don't remember exactly where I first saw. Uh, the name Una finally exposed, but uh, definitely was in the novel that was focused on her. Um, and I thought they 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 used that in uh, in Discovery, didn't they? They did do it in Discovery. Yeah, Discovery was the first time it was mentioned on screen what her name was. Okay, okay. But I think it was yeah. that short Trek episode. Okay. Yep. I'm okay. going to go look. That's amazing. Una, yeah. clever. Yeah, Una, <laughs> number one. I know that she was called Una in that uh, John Byrne, uh, the Crew miniseries. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. There you go. So, what, what do we think about Core? Is Core uh, loyal, or is he just getting away with it? Ooh, ooh, ooh! Good I question. love that scene at the end. Yeah, that was pretty good. I know the full extent of your loyalty. Well, that could mean two things, couldn't it? Yes. Yes. So what does she know? I'm I, I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, and that, now that, that now good. that you mentioned the whole forehead thing, I guess that's why they have his head covered up and why uh, his hair covered it up. Yeah, they never do deal with it. Yeah. So you never actually see it fully. Right. Uh, uh, with the bumpy headed. Although when I was reading it, he he was bumpy headed 100. percent it wasn't until Ken started putting that. Don't you think you'd see those bumps underneath that bandage? 
You'd think I mean, so, come on. but... The bumpy-headed Klingon thing is never going to go away, is it? No matter how... <laughs> you know, I know they've they explained it. They've tried to skirt around it. My first Star Trek convention, I asked a question of Mark Leonard. How did they explain it? And he just, you know, in, in motion picture, and he just looked right at me from across the room and said, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very oh, true. Awesome. <laughs> true story. Yeah, I, I, that's great. I, I, I love when the cleave ship goes into the surface. I thought I that was it. yeah. I thought There's that was a. People that live here. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm well, sorry, did, Snowflake. I mean, this is you... an action. This is an action adventure tale. <laughs> I'm with you. It was I'm quite spectacular. You, I also noticed that. And I said it in my synopsis that there were people on that ship that were not disloyal. To yeah, her, and they all went down. Whoa. Yep. She doesn't mess around. Now the whole thing I was thinking it was just that you know that close to a, a city that 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 can't be good for the environment. <laughs> and you know who knows somebody might have been living there in little cave. They're dead now. Oh god! I, just, I, I did not consider the cave dwellers. <laughs> However. Um, <laughs> City nearby, and actually, my my first thought was that she crashed it into the building, but then I saw the buildings in the background, so I realized, yeah, got that wrong. Yeah, doesn't it seem like it was a little close, though? I mean, I mean, it's a big ship. Wouldn't you think the explosion would be big enough that it would? Yeah, it might have taken out that building they were in for the conference. Well, especially if the warp warp core breached, because those, those oh, create huge shockwaves. Good point. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will say I liked. I mean, granted, it was weird that they didn't translate the Klingon, um, but it, I thought it was interesting that she had you know code words that told the computer to lock them out and all that and crash the ship. <laughs> you know, that was that was kind of a good plot twist. I liked it. Yeah, that's planning ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? Now that I think about it, maybe she purposely chose Core, and she chose everybody on that ship because she knew that they were all disloyal, and this was a way to. Get rid of them. Thin out the herd really quick, Good right? Point. Give them Good enough. Point. Give them enough rope to hang themselves, and then she can just kill them all in one shot. Mm. So, Cor being the smart guy he is, he obviously never got to to the cleave ship or back to it. Um, so, what he was just hanging out in the conference building. Well, he was injured. Well, I know, but I mean, was that? Was he that injured? I mean, or or he just randomly got more injured than was pl- than was planned. So it really wasn't him being smart. It was just luck of the draw. Is that what you're saying? That's one way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. Or he really was loyal to her, right? Well, or yeah, he was smart enough to play both sides until he saw what actually happened. Right. That's the only reason I can think that he's there is that does that they leave you with that that. That's a clever way to end it. Yep. Now, in the in the in the beginning of that scene, she does say, "You know, I believed it was you mm-hmm. um, that you were the one who would betray me." I'm pleased to see I was mistaken. Yep. Of course, that could she could be playing him too, right? Right. I mean, she completely says what she says it right to him. What could be? You, I mean, you you purposely held back uh, because you did betray me. I mean, you could have been the devious one that came up with the whole idea. Right. Well, she's. Uh, where I am a devious mind. Yeah, exactly. I right. would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yep. 
Was that so your I, core voice or your? That was my Lorel. no. That was my best. That, that Lorel? Was Lorel. That was Lorel. Yeah. That was Lorel. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I I thought it was pretty good. Needs work. <laughs> um. I love. I love. Although it's not. I don't think it's consistent with the character, but I do love how Spock went total Charles Bronson and uh, just totally took out those three uh, guards, those three yeah. uh, terrorists in very gruesome, in very gruesome I ways. It was overdone, actually, to be honest with you. I, I, uh, I liked that he what he did. You know that he came in and you know won the day, but. Hey, we don't need to see heads being split open, do we? Really? I thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> and through the cheek. That, that was that was I the mean, part. Look, that at, look at it! It's it's a it's a disruptor beam in his mouth. I know. <laughs> it reminded me of the movie uh, Dread. Did like y'all see chicken. that one? Oh, with Carl Urban. Yeah, the slow mo when they were shooting people and. Like it was showing the bullets going through people's heads and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I never need that stuff. I don't like that. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I tried to watch uh, the Spartacus TV show, and it was like every time they would have a fight, everything was splattered in slow motion. And I was just like, you know, that, uh, and... I thought they did it, they did it well in Dread, where it wasn't gratuitous, but it was in in the theater. You could see it in 3D, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was like one of the, it was like one of the times when it was just like okay, it's kind of cool how they fit it into the plot, the slow mo stuff, mm-hmm. where you get to like really bask in the the three D gruesomeness, and it actually makes sense. And it's not just like Spartacus, where it's just like slow mo for the or three hundred when it's just slow mo for the sake of this looks cool of gore, right? Yeah, give it a shot. It's worth a shot. Has a uh, McCoy in it. Okay. Well, for a second, I thought you meant the Sylvester Stallone version, and I was like, "Really? Mm-hmm. Nah, the Carl Urban." Okay. Yeah, Carl Urban is pretty good action action guy. That's why it was such a great turn when he when he did the McCoy. Yeah, I thought that was like, "Oh, that, that's that's uh, casting against type." Cool. Well, he also played, was it before or after they played the bad guy in one of the Bourne movies? Oh my gosh, he was. Oh, totally. did he? I did not yeah. know. That. Oh, yeah. Played the Russian in the last Bourne, the last mm. one that had what's his name in it. I'm not talking about the Bourne Legacy, which was you know another Bourne guy, but mm. the last one with Matt Damon. Well, the last one with him, or the last one before he left and then came back? No. Oh, I forgot he came back. I didn't see that. <laughs> I never saw that one. In the the third in the trilogy. Was right. 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 Yeah, we've said it many times. Carl Urban is like one of those actors that has been around forever, and he's always he's always in stuff you forgot that he was in. Yeah, well, you know, he's in he's in the Boys. He's, he's great, yeah, in the boys. which I haven't gotten through the second season yet. I'm still still working on that. And yeah, uh, we we marathoned through that. That was so good. Both of those seasons are so good. I I think it's great. I, think yeah, really I love the first season. The second season didn't have as, as much. And of course, you know, we're going to do the Carl Urban fan thing. Uh, Lord of the Rings, you know. Right. Well, and my I, first exposure to him, Doom. He was the Doom guy. But my my first exposure to him is when he was the lead in Pathfinder. It was something like that. Um, Never heard of it. Well, it's one of his early movies, and uh, and he's like 
he's like in almost like a Conan outfit, you know. And well, he's he, he's big this. and you know he's a big. Uh... I'll check that out. <laughs> okay. Um, but he's like it's it's like like back in in some old day thing, and I don't know. Anyway, it was pretty. I thought he was good in that. He's he's been. I, I can't think of anything he wasn't good at. Um, I mean, he was the bad guy in. Uh, Vin Diesel. Um... Oh yeah, the um, Riddick. 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 That's it. Yeah. The Chronicles of Riddick. So he was he was he was good there as a bad guy. So yeah, he's he's all over the place. And of course, who could forget him in uh, Thor, uh, Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Uh, I I like that character. Not everybody did, but um, mm. what Des and 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 Troy. Or his two down sixteen. I, I didn't know this. He played Cupid. Cupid and and Xena and Hercules, the TV shows. <laughs> both of Cupid them. and Julius Caesar. I'd like to see him in that outfit too. <laughs> um. <laughs> With the arrow and everything. Really? Yes. I, I don't know. I'm just going off IMDb. Now that like, would be surprised. that would be classic. You have Xenon thing going on, and all of a sudden you have a little Carl Urban in the outfit with the, with the bow and arrow. That would be great. <laughs> all right. Okay. Back to the back to the comic. Well, is there much more to say? I mean, uh, I got nothing else to say. I, I I will say this that you know, and this is sort of speaks to my why I didn't didn't think there was much much here in terms of story, and it felt kind of crammed in. My synopsis is in the past have been, you know, pages long. This was, you know, two thirds of a page and I told everything that happened in it. Right. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't being, I wasn't trying to be short because I didn't like it, but I just realized it's this, 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 and this, that's what happens. You know, I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the story. I mean, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be pages and pages and pages of dialogue. I kind of like that. It was just a short breezy three part story that they didn't try to make it more than it, it needed to be. Yeah, had a lot of action in it, so you don't need as much dialogue. Here's my last comment about about it is, um, and this is going to sound bad, but I I do not like him as Spock, <laughs> the actor. Oh, the actor. He does Ethan, not look like Spock. Ethan. Peck? I can't. He doesn't look like Spock. You know, you definitely know when they did the Abrams stuff that they chose. Even though Zachary Quinto is a great actor, um, but they chose him because he has a physical resemblance. You know. And he's an um, excellent but, actor. Which one, but Quinto I, or this new Quinto, Quinto is excellent. Quinto's phenomenal. No, you, okay, so Quinto and Leonard Nimoy are not pretty boys. They have character to their face, not pretty boys. This guy, pretty boy. He's a pretty boy. As a matter of fact, the last thing that they show him, you know, with the end thing, I mean, the way they've got him drawn with all the shadowings and everything, he looks like a sex doll. Whoa. <laughs> he does. Look, I mean... He looks like a sex doll. Anyway, anyway, he's too—he's too much of a pretty boy. <laughs> I agree that he does not look like the original character. I don't agree that I don't like the way he plays him, and I don't think he looks like a sex doll. <laughs> Only and in I, that panel. I, I will Only in that to panel. Visit you, can and see your collection and <laughs> see what you mean. <laughs> oh, oh, that collection, which I don't talk about. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, these weapons are great. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> I, 
I um no no look at that I face. I, I it looks artificial. He, is, he was chosen for a different reason, and he is handsome. But it, I I do think he plays the care the, the role well. Yeah, I, I think his acting is fine. It's just he's just too know, pretty. He, he just does not look the character to me at all, and I can't get I can't get over it. I mean, with the beard, I could at least be like, okay. He, but then when he shaved it off at the end, I was just I can't see this guy as Spock. So hopefully in um, Strange New Worlds that win me over. But, uh, but as of right now, he's my third favorite Spock. Well, he's my third favorite Spock, too. But There's a lot of Spocks. Uh, I, mean, yeah, I don't count all the little baby Spocks. There's a lot of baby Spocks. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, oh, young, young Spock on, um, on the, uh, you know, when Robin or... Uh, What's uh, yeah. three? Yeah, yeah. Just tell me. Look, all right. All right. There's, there's three. Spock, uh, Star Trek three, generated young man who had sex with Savick. There. Yes, that Spock one. On, so there's another one. There's the animated boy Spock. Right. There's the baby Spock in Star Trek five. There's the Spock, um, in this in Discovery when he's a boy. Um, there's, there's another one too. There's, there's, there's more. baby Spock in Star Trek eleven with uh when he's yes. on on. Uh, it's in, beaten, it's in the deleted by the other Vulcans. Oh, oh there's actually literally a, another baby Spock that's in the deleted scenes. But yeah, then there's a boy Spock um, in the little cone things. So that's a lot of Spocks. That's a lot of so, Spocks. Yeah. Good point. Good, good point, though. I mean, I've always had a partiality to baby Spock. <laughs> kind of like baby Jesus. Yeah, baby Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. One of the things I'm tired about uh, in in all Star Trek media is seeing Spock get beat up as a little boy. Um, mm. I, I don't see the Vulcans as being bullies, but they oh, keep ever since Star Trek Eleven, they've been depicting them as bullies, just um, jerks, right? I mean, I, I didn't get that from the old show. They, he never talked about his traumatic childhood getting beaten up by. You well, know, would the, you? The Vulcan if you're getting child beaten up by bullies, you wouldn't want to talk about it. It's just not very Vulcan. I don't see the yeah, logic I of was, calling I somebody a freak that. and pushing them over just for nothing. Right. Well, if the theory is that Vulcans do have emotions, it's just that they're they are socialized to suppress them. Then, if you're not fully grown up, well, maybe you're not as good as, at suppressing them. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know. So they just get away with it, like when they're not being watched by their parents, they just can be total little jerks. Uh, you know, yes. I, I've had the same thought when I watch. You know, I love the two thousand nine reboot. I just do. And but when, whenever they, I see that scene, I think they don't seem like Vulcan kids. No, right. They don't. But at uh, least in that one, they were kind of like as if it was an experiment, right? We, mm. This is uh, you know, we're going to try to insult your mother. This is. Try number whatever, 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 right? Right. Here, in this vocal. issue, they're just jerks. Hey, freak, what you doing? <laughs> Esperanto? You know, just, you know, that's this. This seems more jerky than than the than the Star Trek 2009 movie, yeah. where at least there they were kind of like making it an experiment to see if they can get him to lose his temper. Right. Yeah. Good point. What point? What? What? But I did think at this point it was like, yeah, like, okay, we've seen this before. 
when I was reading the comic, I was like, yep. Okay. I don't remember. In, in the animated series, did Young Spock get teased? Oh, you know, I don't. Maybe that's where they're getting it all from. With that, that one... I where he goes he to the Guardian of Forever and goes back in time to save himself. I'm going to have to rewatch that tonight. I don't think there were other... Were there other uh, Vulcan kids in that episode? I don't, I don't remember there being... But if there was, then that would be the I bet they were jerks. It. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's where they got it from. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. I'll let you know. All right. <laughs> All right. Shall we just talk about the series as a whole, or are we done? What... Yeah, series. Let's talk about series. Okay. Yeah. Latest late, late season, right? Or everything? Are we talking about the entire right. thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, season three. So I just mentioned the Guardian of Forever episode of the animated series. Do we want to start there? Why not? It was. I thought that was that one was, of the that's what caused surprising reveal. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was 100% there with it. And I knew the second I, you know, he said, I, and I was like, oh my God. Nah. <laughs> I knew it, you know? And did you know, and I, and, and we were, we were hooting and hollering here in my house. Mm-hmm. And um, we watched, we, we, we watched it like, like that scene, like six times, like after it was, the episode was over. Um, and did you notice that as he says, I am the guardian forever, that, First, you hear the original voice, and then you also hear the actor. They, they do a great job with the sound. So there's a kind of an intermix, and by the end of the I Am the Guardian of Forever statement, you're hearing them both speak. Right. It's, it's, it's just well done. Loved it. Yep. Uh, when, yeah, my... when the guy with the derby and the cigar is talking, and it's like, oh. like who is this guy? I had no clue. Well, But I yeah, but then when they... It was going to either be the Guardian or Q. I'm oh. glad it wasn't. Oh, yeah. I didn't think either. I, well, the what? doorway. You know. Oh, doorway. clues. There were clues. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So that brings up a thing. Actually, so, go ahead. If you, if you take a screenshot of the paper that Carl is reading, okay, it is the same paper that Edith Keeler appears in, in when, when Spock's doing the it's called the something I don't remember what it was called but it, it, the name of the paper is the same paper that shows up on Spock's tricorder in the city on the edge of forever oh cool that's, that's a cool easter egg and then all of the articles are clues are, they have some kind of um, reference in fact <laughs> I think there's a ad for Edith Keeler's um, mission oh really yeah, and that kind of thing. Like, it, there's a lot of um, clues within, it. And, and there are two. It's very quick when he flips it over, but of course, the internet is the internet, so there are now enhanced pictures, and you can see them. Um, yeah, it's all there. Cool. Now you you found that out after the fact, right? Or did you actually spot some of that when you were watching? The first I time? no, I sadly saw it. Uh, I saw the speculation on the internet okay. in the in, in between the two episodes and it was a two-parter and in that week between so when it happened i was i was thrilled but i can't say i hadn't considered it right yeah unfortunately it was already spoiled for me uh just i didn't read any of the articles but they had had enough pictures of uh well that's what worried me when you said i'm not i'm not watching the show until after christmas i want it to all be i was like oh yeah it's gonna be spoilers that's gonna be hard to avoid yeah, that was the that was the only one that was spoiled for me. Nothing else. I mean, not that there was any big other 
guest stars or anything. But. So let, let's talk about the, another thing that happened in that episode. What do you, don't we think that the reason that uh, what's her name uh, goes back Michelle Yeoh charge forever is to go be part of Section Thirty One the show? I think that's definitely what they want to happen. You wrote her out, yeah. I mean, I don't know why they didn't just not have her go forward, but okay. It was, you know, and that good end of that character in, in Discovery. Um, but I thought they were ambiguous enough that she could show up in Picard, too, right, if they wanted. Or Strange New World. So they could they could bring her back as a guest star in either one. Because he doesn't say he's sending her back to the exact same time she left. Just right. at the time when both universes were the closest together. I so. can't imagine that they're going to, if they make a Section 31 show and it is set in the time period from which Discovery came from, that it will not cross over with Strange New Worlds. I imagine that they would do that. You know? Yeah. Again, I think that's what they want to happen. I just don't know if Strange New, I, don't, I just don't know if that Section 31 thing's ever going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't know if I really. I don't care. I, th- I think of all of all the. They would have kept her on the show. I think if they weren't planning to do it, that's my that's my logic. I, I think they wanted. I think Michelle Yeoh probably was like saying, "Hey, you know what? I think I'd like to either be on the show, you know, my own show, or uh, you know, maybe see what else is out there, acting wise." Right. I, I don't know. Who knows? But I, I think of all the uh, different ideas that are out there have been floating around. Um, I think the section 31 is one of my least intriguing possibilities. Oh, I agree. I'm not psyched about it. I just think they're going to do it. Yeah. I, I, I actually don't, I'm not, I'm not really, would, would it have ash in it, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, <sighs> who, 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 I'm sorry. In the second season just became superfluous. Had yeah. no real reason. Just, and, just and wedged in. Needed a haircut. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't good. <laughs> Um, you know, um, but you know, I will say as far as the story arc goes for season three, I had a hard time at first, but I thought that first of all, the actress was phenomenal. Um, uh, I can never say her name, Michael, um, in, in the character changes in, in, in her character. She, she was this different character and they, they kind of let you believe it because they gave us that year, right. Um, that we didn't get to see. Right. Um, I I liked it. I I thought she did a really good job with that. Um, and and probably one of the well, the the greatest episode for me, aside from watching the Guardian Forever, was the one Unification Three. Brilliant. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Was, I was, I didn't really like that her mom was suddenly there. I thought that was a little convenient. Yeah. And, and had such an important role and had to be so, you know, like, I'm not going to be your mom because I'm in this role. That didn't right. work. And, and we're going to shoehorn this this religious thing from Picard into here just so that we can have some sort of tie in. Um, so. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, too. But it was just again, it was just like, that's just too much and too much of a coincidence. And for her yeah. to be so emotionless that she knew that her daughter was out there all this time and didn't try to find her herself. Yeah. I, I just found it very hard to believe that a human would be accepted as, uh, I, I forgot the name of the order. What's the order name again? The nuns of 
the nuns of high. Yeah. Well, what, the, what, the lost causes. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The, the champions, the nuns of lost causes. Yeah, that's the, that's their name. Well, right. whatever it is, I just I just thought found it very hard to believe that uh, a non Romulan would be accepted into something like that. Yeah, I, I did like how the Romulans were the more open minded ones in that future, uh, as opposed to it was a role reversal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that, uh, and, and this is just going to be a, a little sidebar, I liked that these Romulans didn't hate Spock like Nero did, right? So Nero, Nero and the other, you know, he wasn't the, he wasn't what all Romulans thought of Spock at the, at the when their planet blew up, right? So obviously they didn't have that hatred towards Spock and they, they did, uh, you know, side with the, the Vulcans and, and try to and, and did the unification thing, right? Well, they had a lot of make right. sense at all. Well, I, I yeah, just but... like, I just liked that they never mentioned that there was any of this animosity towards Spock. They they all saw him as being the uh, the one who tried to unify the groups. Right, yeah. I know what you're saying. And, you know, there, there's another thing, that, and this alludes to the fact that I said that the, the franchise is sort of reuniting itself. I mean, there's a reunification of the movies and the TV. Was that they made a very vague reference to the Abrams universe um, in the scene where the the guy um, who's who's kind of the mysterious Starfleet guy um, he's played by somebody famous. Ar- the Arnold Foster guy. The, no, no, the, it's um, it's the director Cronenberg. Uh, oh, oh, yes. Cronenberg. Cronenberg's character. Yeah. In, when when they when they show the guy in uh, the what is it, the ver- the um, hologram of the guy that's in a next gen uniform, very close to it. Oh right, yeah. And they were talking. He said, and there was another time when why they talking why time travel is now outlawed and why the time chronicles or whatever it was are, are so important. He said there was a time when a Romulan mining ship created a whole other universe. Oh, oh man, right, right, right. Yep. Oh yeah. It's You're a right. very quick. He's talking about a couple of different things, and he just throws it in there, and it's just like, oh, <sighs> dang it! <laughs> <laughs> That's just up your alley, Donovan. You you could yeah the, the whole like explaining things and coming up with a thing here and there. That is the, you're gonna have to go back. You're gonna have to watch a couple of things tonight. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can't believe I missed that because I, I I was eating up everything he was saying. Yeah. Well, he, I went back. I went back to look. He, he's a very interesting, mysterious man, a mysterious character. He's kind of like the, yeah, the Cancer really Man or the Smoking Man or whatever in uh, X Files. He's just yeah, somebody who it, keeps popping up that ha- that seems to know everything. Was right. he like the president of the Federation? What what was his role in the Federation? You don't know. Yeah. You don't know. That is kept mysterious on purpose. I think. Yeah. Which. Speaking well, you, of that, you I, figure Section Thirty One, but who knows? They didn't say. I, would Section Thirty One really have made it that far? You know, nine or thirty years later. I don't know. The um, I don't understand why the control could not have gone nine hundred and thirty years in the future. Why they? Oh, we have to go so far in the future that you know they can't get the sphere data. I don't get that. If they have time travel, couldn't they do that? Um, but that wasn't my point. My point was, uh, I liked the the, the admiral. Um, He's quite good. Or what? Yeah, he was so good. I mean, this is what was good about him was throughout the season, 
I kept questioning, is he going to turn out to be a bad guy? Right. You know, and then it turns out, you know, of course, he turns out to be actually really, really solid. Really solid. And and I liked it. But Um, they did a good job of that. Yeah. But, you know, he's kind of a little jerky at the beginning, but he has to be wary. I mean, here's a ship out of nowhere. Like, if I can't explain it, I'm not going to just automatically throw the doors open. Yeah, I thought he was great. And I thought that... um... But on the other side of that, the uh, the big bad, the the Orion pirate. Oh, I thought she was so hammy, and she was so. Uh, she was such a bad, yeah, classic black hat bad guy, just twirling her mustache. Right, didn't care like, about her at all. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and the actress wasn't phenomenal, but the overtures that she was making to the admiral, uh, I thought it was. Kind of interesting because if they were running out of dilithium crystals, she saw the writing on the wall, and she was trying to. She was trying to make. Yeah, she was believable in her. She seemed sincere. Right now, was she a hundred percent? I don't know, but um, it seemed like she was. Uh, I don't think so. But she was but, too too bad. But never. But we would never find out. And by the way, what the hell was that thing in engineering that Michael was pushed into? Yeah, that was the memory core. Is that what that was? Yeah. God, I hated right. that. I hated that too. Yeah, you can drown in the memory it, core. It drown yeah. in the memory core? And then and then automatically uh, Orion lady thinks, oh, she's dead now and I can turn my back on her. It's like, oh, no, she's not. And then just comes out again. It's like, what? Yeah, that was weird. I, I didn't it. like that at all. I hated it. I, I, didn't it like, I didn't like the character in the wheelchair. That guy didn't, I didn't buy that either. Like, I really love my, you know, green oh, Orion bad guy. Yeah, and the then until she does some bad things in front of me and, oh, now she's not okay. I, it, just, it just didn't, I didn't think he was a good actor. <laughs> well, I thought uh, he was good as far as showing that that not everybody is evil, right? Just because you're siding with somebody that's evil, you they might be misleading you too, right? So that not everybody's bad. That's on the bad side. Right, terms. right. He turned out not to be a bad guy in the bad guy circle. Right. right. Okay. That he was being misled too. He thought she really was sincere and trying to help these people um i liked the um the sort of little family story with um stamets and hugh and what's her name um i said it before the new character esri yeah she does look like esri (laughs) um no but i thought that actress was great um really good and i you know i thought it was a nice nod to um gender non-binary people that she wanted to be called they i realize that's a modern kind of thing that's happening in our culture right now but star trek mm-hmm. always reflects that right. so to have a non a, a, a person asked to have no you know a they pronoun i thought was really good i was like go star trek all right so uh in regards to that um do you think it's a little bit of a cop-out that it's a uh it's also a trill who has multiple personalities in them that are multiple genders that that's I kind of felt like maybe that was a cop out and I and you know not being LBGQ I didn't I didn't know how how they would see it as if that was 
kind of kind of a nod to them being able to choose their own pronouns, but also kind of a cop out by saying, oh, well, they are multiple people so that they are a they. The, they did the same thing on Deep Space Nine. And in fact, if you watch the documentary, um, What We Left Behind, yeah, they that. say yeah. we don't get credit for trying to, to carry the, you know, that torch forward because it, we didn't really hit it as hard as we should have. And they did the same thing. It was an ex-lover who was male that now in a trill was female. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So they did that same sort of quote-unquote cop-out. And they did the same thing, not with a trill, but stepping up to the plate of the race, you know, in Next Generation of, of the, the gay episode is what they call it, but the, the planet of, of no gender people. Um, and oh, one Riker. Yeah, and they tried to, to – it was actually – I mean, in some ways it was clever because it was – there is no gender and it's wrong to assume a gender, which is the opposite of, you know, kind of what was going on right now. But at the time it was kind of a, a weak attempt, but it was an attempt. Um, and now we've got a gay couple, you know, the doctor and the engineer are a, a family, which I think mm-hmm. is, um, but the fact that they kind of adopted, they never really said anything, but they kind of adopted her. Oh, uh, sorry, yeah. He now. calls her, her da- his daughter at one point. And that was yeah, just yeah, like, uh, that was just like, Oh, it gives you all the feels. <laughs> you just yeah. like, Exactly. Because Stemmets is kind of a, a, pardon my French, but a, kind of a butt. Well, <laughs> if I, I, I am to be like... Well, he used to yeah. be, in season one, he was more of a butt. I think he's become a lot more likable over the seasons. Yeah, but I will say, I, 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 did, I did have all the feels, and I did like the storyline, but it is true that his immediate affection, um, it seemed out of character. Um, now we're sort of accepting it as, you know, he has this great affection for them, but I don't... You know what I mean? It, 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 when when it was first happened, yeah, it was just all of a sudden like he was just so sweet right from the beginning, right. and he just doesn't seem sweet ever. Um, you know, if one, once that is established, and if they had done it a little slower, I think I would have bought it more. But I liked it anyway. Yeah. I still liked it. He, he never struck me as the fatherly type, right? No. Whereas yeah. Hugh is kind of like nurturing and sweet all along, right? Yeah. So. No, I loved you, and and, and 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 you know that that's one of the things about the show is that when they broke them up in season two, I I was really kind of mad because I was just like, no, Hugh, Hugh and him needs he needs you, and Hugh needs him because. And then I thought about it. I was like, is that because that's what they need, or because that's what I want to see? You know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because you know, I don't know. Stimmons is kind of a butt, you know, and it's just like <laughs> maybe Hugh would be better off somewhere else. But well, somewhere else was you know, we didn't know it yet, so it was dead. So I wouldn't say he was better off. Um, well, no, it was uh, when he came back to life is when they officially broke up, right? Because he said he didn't know who he was. Anymore. Well, that's true. I always thought you meant that when they killed off Hugh, that that was when they... No, no, no. I meant when they brought him back to life, and then and then he broke up because he didn't he didn't know who he was anymore. That 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 time frame when they were broken up. Right, right. Well, anyway, I liked I liked the storyline. You know, you know, it's a thread they never really resolved, and I don't know if it's because they just didn't get to it or they're going to. But the whole thing about the the ubiquitous children's song that's all over the galaxy. That well, comes that, up was, that was coming from the... That was the Nebula thing. That was the SOS from the Nebula. Which I didn't well, like. I knew that it was the SOS from the Nebula, but I didn't get that it was the source of the fact that everybody knew this song. Right. Yeah, so kind of like the incident. Red Angel thing in the other one where the Red Angel was in all this like 
mythology and stuff. You know, now we have a, a nursery rhyme that's in all, all for the last hundred years has been ingrained in everybody's subconscious. Right. I, I didn't care for that either. Hmm. I, I loved the season, though. I loved it. There was, there was really not a lot I didn't like about it. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed it a lot. I've enjoyed all three seasons. I don't know why people badmouth it. I mean, yeah, there's well, always something on. that I like, but I, I mean, it's it's up there with all the other Star Treks as far as I'm concerned. I don't right. think and the writing I, is. Well, I will say that I in both the season one and season two, I did not like season one so much the first time through. But then when I binge watched it, I was like, oh, this is better than I remember. I liked season two very much. And then I even liked it even better when I binge watched it. So I still have yet to binge watch season three. You know, I watched it boom, 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 week at a time. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to it because I think you see, you get a lot more of the story arc when you sit down and watch it all at once. Um, say more, Ken, about why why you think the writing is not good. I don't think. Well, it's Star Trek, and I love it. I do enjoy a lot of it, but I do not think that the writing in Discovery can hold a candle to uh, Deep Space Nine or Next Gen, and even Taws, although if you discount Re-Season 3. <laughs> I just... There's just too many things that make me cringe. And... Uh, and not continuity things, just storytelling things. Well, storytelling things and sometimes just acting and what, they, what, what they're asking, what they give the actors to do. And then how they execute sometimes. I just, yeah, was it I just don't think it's as good. Burnham? I just don't. Well, Burnham get, has the most to talk to do, so she has the most opportunity to do things that are cringeworthy. Um, I, I, I just, it, it, you know, if well, I'm here, rank, here, if, here, I'm here, ra- here. if I'm ranking, if I'm ranking shows, Discovery's near the bottom. Sorry, when I, when I, no, don't, don't be sorry. Something's got to be there. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, okay. Know, yeah. I, I felt that um, the one thing that did that, that felt a little affected to me was Burnham's like um, obsession with finding the source of the burn, and the fact that for what seventy years nobody had found the source of the burn, but she decides she wants to find it, and then yeah. boom, she can figure it out. Right. You know exactly. After a couple of, but a couple, yeah, so so that's an example where. Michael can figure out anything. She's so central to everybody. Um, and I. Okay, so Kirk was always really important. Spock was always really important. And they were the center of a lot of stuff going on. But it's like. They're, I mean, Michael's everything. She's not in any. There's almost no, almost no scenes that she's not in, right? Well, I mean, she's, yeah. I mean, there, there are some, but I mean, she's just always shoehorned into it and and there are some exceptions but it's like she always knows what to do um, right and yeah it's sometimes <sighs> pretty esoteric she it's like pretty it's a stretch for her to figure out whatever the mystery is you know it's like <sighs> yeah well, and she always has to go against somebody every 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 episode it's like oh i have to go against somebody's wishes but I know I'm right, so I'm going to do it anyways. And oh, she does that. She does that a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's me getting was they little... called her on that in season three. Was it Saru that called her on that and said, "You of all people should know why we can't just run off and do it if you yep. know we've been told." When she to. goes to and, save book, 
I thought I thought that was good. Yeah. I thought that was a good moment in the sh- in the show. And the look on her face was like, oh, you know, have you learned nothing? Kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do like Saru. Great character. Oh, excellent character. Really, you know, and he's got that great vocal, like, you know, uh, what is it? <laughs> that I'm thinking of season two. With, but he came back from the dead. He has that sort of like <laughs> that lilt to his voice that he just does so well. Mm. Um, I think he's going to be the standout character. Like as time goes on and Discovery becomes part of history, and yep. you know, oh, yeah. It... yeah, like his Thanksgiving episode. I mean, I love I love <laughs> that that Thanksgiving episode just because it's so true with with big families is that. That always happens, you know. Something, something like that always happens where something goes wrong and somebody's feelings get hurt, and then you all end up together at the end, right? And so, right. Uh, I mean, maybe not to that extent, but you know, there's always a little bit of that uh, in any family situation. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that, that and, was and, well. and I kind of liked his, you know, looking at it from the outside. It's, it's all new, new to him because he's not used to having anybody, right? Because he was just supposed to be eaten before he was hit puberty kind of thing hmm. well and from and from a um you know writing point of view i thought it was good that they dealt with the whole crew's need to adjust to the fact that they just left everything behind them there's a lot of science fiction and a lot of stuff yeah. where they would just be like here we are you know like and it wouldn't even like give a a, a nod to the fact yeah. that because you're going on to the emotional next. cost to what yeah because you need to go on to the next yeah. story yeah yeah so that was good that they acknowledged it and people were having to adjust. Um, I'm surprised that, at, you know, at the fandom verse that um, Tilly is becoming a, a breakout character. People are loving her. Um, I thought in the first couple of episodes, like, oh, this character is so annoying. They're never going to, you know. <laughs> but but they're, they're doing a good job um, kind of developing her over time. Well, I she know. was the, the first one to get a, a spinoff book. So, I mean... I think they, they were planning on her being that character for a while. Mm. Well, I, think I guess she was the second. There was a burnt, there was a uh, Lorca book first, and then then her book was second. Mm. Yeah, that that Lorca and uh, Captain um, Giorgio. That was good. I like that one. And Kirk, surprisingly. And Kirk, young Kirk. Yes, indeed. Young Kirk is there. Huh? I wonder if we'll see young Kirk. I, in, in in strange new world, they say that. Of course, is that rumor or right. is that more oh, yeah. based on? And that he's going to be uh, bisexual. Yeah, that's what? another rumor. That... Now wait. Oh, you haven't heard that. I have not heard that. Not serious. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I don't know if they they like plan that. on dwelling like on that. it. But... I'm in the LGBTQ community, and I don't. I I I don't think I'd like her to be suddenly bisexual. Well. Uh, and George Takei said the same thing. It's like that isn't about consistent Sulu. with with the kid. Right. No, he said it about Kirk. He uh, said it about Sulu too. He did. Well, that's he true. Got- but he, he also said that about the whole idea of Kirk being gay. Right. Also, so he. Yeah, it sounds like they want to turn Kirk into like a Captain Jack from I don't know if exactly. Who. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, that's that's kind of his character. Yeah. What what what, yeah. what is that? Uh, pansexual. Basically, yes. you'll you'll do anything, <laughs> any alien. Damn. <laughs> well, uh, I could have I could have used worse words. 
Pan- well, that isn't that what they call Captain Jack? It is. It is. It is. I'm just laughing. I mean, it's just. It's just. You know, I have a pansexual character in Star Trek that you know I'll do anything. I think that's just. <laughs> I I don't know. I, it's quite that succinct, but still funny. What? Do, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's what they. That's what they used to say about Captain Jack. Well, yeah, anyway, yeah. whatever. Well, Captain Jack is fabulous. I mean, that's a great and, character. And he, well, he's so celebratory of his sort of sexual, you know, exactly uh, sexuality. He's just, exactly. yeah, it's wonderful. And and Deadpool's a little like that too, a little bit. Is he? He is. I don't he's see a little it like that. Yeah. In the movies or in the well, comic do, books? do you ever listen to his his? <laughs> he is a lot of his one liners are very fast, but. Uh, he's flexible in his uh, <laughs> sexuality. Although we've only seen really and mostly the heterosexual. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway. That's funny. Anywho. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. But when I, I reached, just to the verse, I reached out um, to Donovan and said, when, when, because I figured he was watching Discovery. Um, as it was being released, you know, that night, every Thursday night. And um, when I saw the episode with, with Guardian of Forever, I was like, I, we ha- I, I want to be on the show when you talk about it. Because <laughs> I was just so into it. Just so, um, it, it gave me joy. <laughs> well, did y'all like how they depicted the Guardian as far as what, what it does? What, in human form? No, 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 no. About what it does. Like, in the original series, they went back in time. Oh yeah, they could have changed the events of human history. Yep. But this one, they, he says he stopped. He went that. to like a copy of it where it was nothing she did would affect what happened in the in the. And past. he addresses that. Carl addresses that. He says we used to just send people back all the time, but you know, you know there, I, were, there I, were problems I, with that. Yeah, I know they did a cop out, but I would have. I didn't like that. I, I, I think they should have just kept it. Because even the Guardian says, I can't control it. it you, you're going to have to jump in right at the right minute because, you know, it, it passes the way it passes, right? Well, he was replaying it, right? Right. So he was replaying he, history in the, in the Taz episode. Right. So I he can go back and replay it, but he couldn't send you through to a specific time. But now Carl can't. Well, I got it. Somebody made the point, you know, how he used to be like all of history and you have to have the right moment and... Um, and now we can pick up individual in time and give them their whole story, right? right. Um, but uh, the, my point was that when they're on the planet of the Guardian Forever in City, he is specifically playing a very particular bit of history from one planet and mm-hmm. one, you know, organization. Time so it's, yeah, it could be anything <clears throat> in any time of any civilization in the universe, and yeah. he's specifically showing them their history. Right. So I don't think the specificity is an issue for me. It, it's more specified because it's about her future in particular. But I bought it. I was, well, it's not her future. It. It's her her past. Well, I, I just didn't like that he sent her to – it was basically a, a Christmas carol. That's that's the way I felt. It was just it very was. Christmas carol This is the yeah. life – it's a wonderful life. This is, this is the, how your life could have gone. And then when it's all said and done, it's like, well, you can't have that life because that was just a dream, but you can go have another life. Oh, You're worthy of another chance. I thought the actress, first of all, the, the craziness that she was feeling from the 
the being and the her molecules getting all scrambly. Right. Um, and I thought she did a great job because she got more and more and more fierce, which was in character. And then, like you say, it is sort of It's a Wonderful Life or I think Christmas Carol is even a better um, metaphor because she she does have this change. You do feel like she's she gets it. She goes back to her old universe. And it's not so much that that changes her. It's that it is, forgive the expression, a mirror for her to see how much she has changed from her because of her time on Discovery in this universe. Right. You know, she can't go back home, in other words, um, because she's changed. And she can't see that change until she has some experience to show it to her. So I thought it worked dramatically. I, I loved it. I like the story. I just don't like that that's what the Guardian does now, as opposed mm-hmm. to just literally transporting you back in time. Well, the Guardian has grown as an entity over the past whatever. I mean, because time is kind of re- irrelevant to the Guardian. He can go anywhere. Right. But... Since before your son burned hot and <laughs> Exactly right. So, <laughs> so he has evolved, because if you listen to the Guardian's lines... In the original uh, episode, he's almost mechanical. You know, I've been oh, yeah. constructed to make, or I've been const- I've been con- constructed to uh, make the pa- make uh, the past or whatever available to people in this way. And oh, you, you want to go? Okay, yeah, come on, step through. You know, he's almost like like a barely sentient. Uh, machine or maybe not sensitive well, they ask I don't him, know. are you a machine or are you organic and he says i am both and neither yeah you know yeah that's well that's always good. fun to say isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> boy dodge that question it's pretty funny. pretty effectively it's funny you should say that because you know the i am the we, last night we were watching um we just made a choice to watch um rewatch plan nine from outer space um <laughs> i've heard of that but I don't uh, remember what that is exactly. You have not seen Plan Nine from Outer Space. I've. Uh, I don't think I have. Can but I've. Have I've heard the name tonight, though. Too. You. Have, it is. It has been Plan known nine. as, in that, fairly or unfairly, as one of as the worst movie of all time. <laughs> um, and it's just so so. It, it, so what we did was we watched Plan Nine from Outer Space, and then we watched the film Ed Wood, which is a biopic about the director. Um, Right afterwards, I recommend it. It, it, it. it was it was a fun evening. Um, in fact, none of you, neither of you, picked up the fact that instead of saying "universal tra- translator," I said "dictorobatory." I, I heard I heard you say that, but I, I no idea what it is. I, I just threw it, I just threw it in to see if you noticed. Yeah. It was from Plan Nine from Outer Space. But anyway, oh. there is one horrible actor, um, and it, it, it near the end who is um, he sounds exactly like the original Guardian of Forever. We looked it up. It's not, but it it's got that same kind of absolute voice, you know. Yeah. That, that, uh, Is that it the the bald guy? Um, it's the one that says, "You people are stupid. You're just stupid, stupid people." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this was from 1959, and it's an old schlocky Edward movie. Okay, got it. Yeah, absolutely, and it's and really and. Good. It is. You'll be, you'll be tempted at one point to say, "Okay, I get it," but you got to go to the end because the end. Well, and you also need to know. I'm sorry, everybody. It's not Star Trek, but Ed Wood had like this this a couple of um, minutes of footage of his friend Bella Lugosi, and Bella Lugosi died, and so he built a story around this. There's you his know character? Bella. Yeah, he, there's no character. He's just kind of standing there, 
and um, huh. it, it's fascinating history. Anyway, so Bela Lugosi is the old man. Oh, they got a vampire girl. Cool. Vampira, the original yeah. vampire, upon whom yeah, Elvira. Yeah, watch Ed Wood. You'll love it. I mean, really. <laughs> oh, the the movie with Johnny Depp. Or... Yes, because that's the story yeah. of how they build up to making this film. Oh, so okay. Watch Plan Nine, and then watch Ed Wood right after, like the same night. Okay, it's fun. <laughs> I'm. I, I, look, I look forward oh, to uh, talk song. my wife into that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> She'll never let you pick anything again. <laughs> I'm gonna wait till you're on one of your like Alaska hotel room things. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what's funny is that uh, I've only seen that once, and it was at the hospital uh, with my wife. Uh, I think it was when one of the babies were born, and it was just uh, on TV, and we we watched it. That's the only time I've ever watched it. Um, so yeah, so yeah, being being stuck somewhere where you can't not watch it is is the best way to watch that movie. Are you saying that otherwise? There's a danger I might uh, change the channel. Yeah, there's a oh. danger you might change the channel. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's fabulous. Uh, it, it just, when you, and then when you watch kind of how it came to be, you mm. will appreciate it even more. Ed Wood actually is a pretty good movie. It, it's very wonky and it's uh, directed by Tim Burton. So. Mm. Yep. Got all the marks. It's, it's has all his tropes. Yeah, I, I don't know. IMDb says Plan Nine from Outer Space gets two out of five stars. That's that's impressive. Well, it's now it's now pretty well loved and revered for it. it, it in the it's so bad, it's good category. Yeah. It's like the right. room, right? The room, the room. Everybody loves, even though it's a really really bad movie. Never heard of it. I really? Oh, really? Yeah. You never heard of it? Yeah. The one with uh, what's his face? Tommy something. Tommy Wiseau. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we're it's... not talking about Star Trek. No, we're not. No, we're not. And we, well, and we are going along, so we should probably get back. With this. You also did. You also miss my 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 clever linguistic reference. Uh, you brought up a gach in the that, synopsis. That yes, I said that he was uh, back on the Enterprise. Number one teases Pike about eating gach and implies it's going to be an ex- he's going to be excretingly sorry. Yes, <laughs> I am. There it I, is. I heard you. <laughs> Good thing you had a mute. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. It's all there, but the, you know, just when you say it out loud, it just gets kind of... Ookie? Ookie. Good word. It's Donovan word. So you say. <laughs> but I, you disagree? I know I use it, but uh, maybe I got it from you. Oh, oh, it comes I, from the, it comes from the so. Adams family, doesn't it? Oh, mm, yeah. yeah it's in good point. And I am a big fan, so maybe that is where I got it from. Vampire got me. her. Vampire got her uh, motivation, so it all comes full circle from go. from the Adams family. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful uh, discovery, Bachnal. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, gentlemen. <laughs> good. Well put. So when Thank they you, do a, uh, a a lower decks or or other miniseries, we'll have to give you a ring there again. Brian. Please do. You know I'm always game, and I always have fun, and uh, I appreciate being a guest. So to answer your question about where we're at, um, since since not oh, all before we started recording, yeah, uh, that's right. I asked how yeah, much so, more do you have left. Uh, we've uh, we only have U- UK strips and gold key left, and not many gold key. Yeah, we're, yeah? we're getting, what, we got we're like four. I keep seeing the gold key turn up on my YouTube 
you know, selections. So you guys have done more. YouTube no, we really haven't. No, those are the same ones. <laughs> well, There's more than I remember. But, but yeah, I mean, Gold Key Theater, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the whole thing. Right. But, well, but yeah, was one every once in a while, it'll just randomly post up in my, in my feed about, maybe you'd be interested in watching Gold Key Theater. And I'm like, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I, I think it might have been the most popular thing we've ever done, which wouldn't oh, be God. a high bar. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, I, I w- I'm always always game, and I always have fun, and uh, it's good to catch up with both of you. Yeah, it's good to hear from you. Same right back at you. Glad everybody's staying well. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.